Okay, g'day mate, 40 here. I think I've sorted out my sound troubles. So to summarize what I was saying in last uh, stream attempt, the primary reason I stopped uh, listening to Dennis Prager on a regular basis, stopped listening to Partisan Talk Radio on a regular basis, is that I found it made me less happy. And you say, why is that a big deal? Well, when you're less happy, you're more likely to hurt yourself, you're more likely to hurt other people, you're more likely to get a distorted view of life, you're going to be less effective at life. So if you come to life with an attitude of gratitude, if you come to life with a sense of the people who love you and who you have, have reason to love, if you come to life with that ceiling, feeling of connectedness and, and gratitude for the good people in your life, then you're going to see life much more clearly and you're not going to walk around with rage and resentment and unhappiness and you're going to be much more effective in life. And so if engaging in something consistently makes you less happy, that's a really big deal. And it was ironic that uh, listening to Dennis Prager, right, a, a guy who's written a book on happiness as a weekly happiness hour and who places great emphasis on happiness. He's given hundreds of talks on happiness, but it's not Dennis Prager's fault so much as he works in a medium that depends upon making people less happy, right? So how does talk radio work all right a successful political talk radio host must perpetuate the notion that his listeners are victims and the host is the vehicle by which they can become empowered all right if you buy into this if you're affected by this if this shapes you all right you are going to be less happy less effective at life and almost all syndicated talk radio hosts and pundits do this so talk show hosts are popular they are powerful because they appeal to that part of the population that feels disenfranchised and victimized by our major institutions, including the media. These people believe the media correctly is predominantly staffed and consistently reflects the views of social liberals, right? This is accurate. This view is by now so long held and deeply rooted, it is involved into part of virtually every conservative's DNA, and for good reason. But if you walk around with a sense of victimhood and rage and resentment about this out of five out of 10, you're going to be much less effective at life. You're going to alienate people. You're going to be, have a much more difficult time connecting with people. You're going to get into all sorts of unnecessary arguments. You're not going to be coming at life from an effective perspective. Now, if you walk around with like a two out of 10 or, or a three out of 10, then yeah, that, that will probably you know, help you because it'll give you in-group identity it will give you clarity, it will give you meaning and purpose, all right? So a mild feeling of victimhood serves you, but consistently taking an hours of talk radio a day probably doesn't serve you, depending on your personality type, depending on how much you get infected by this. So to succeed, the pundit, such as the talk show host, must perpetuate the notion that his listeners are victims and the host is the vehicle by which they can become empowered. Right, this is a destructive guru-like relationship. Right, not all gurus are destructive, but this particular relationship is really bad for you. The host frames virtually every issue in us versus them terms. There has to be a bad guy against whom the host will emphatically defend his loyal listeners. Now, the enemy can be a politician, can be a Democrat, or a rhino, a Republican in name only, someone who's not conservative enough. It can be the cold, cruel government bureaucracy. More often than not, the enemy is the mainstream media. So you have to differentiate yourself from the rest of the media. 
right? So Fox News had the slogan, we report, you decide, fair and balanced, right? These are very powerful slogans. They are code words signaling that only Fox will report the news in a way the conservatives see as objective and truthful. And my, my overall p political perspective is that we have evolved these what are now called right and left reactions to life. And in different circumstances, you know, one reaction is going to be more adaptive than the other. But the reason that we have so many people with left-wing tendencies and the reason we have so many people in our society with right-wing tendencies is that over thousands of years of evolution, these different tendencies have proven adaptive. So that's how people have survived. So a left-wing tendency would involve more openness to strangers. A right-wing tendency would involve more suspicion of strangers. In certain contexts, being more open to strangers is more adaptive for you. In other contexts, being more suspicious of strangers is more adaptive for you. The left-wing orientation to life involves more openness to experimentation with community and family organization. The right-wing tendency is to stick with the tried and true ways of organizing people including families. So in some circumstances, the traditional way of organizing community is going to be more adaptive. In other circumstances, more innovative ways of doing things is going to be more adaptive. So we have left and right, all right, for a reason, all right? We have evolved over tens of thousands of years and both sides have something to give us. My orientation is overwhelmingly right wing. I'm very comfortable with hierarchy, okay? And I'm very comfortable with the idea that, uh, you know, different groups have different gifts. doesn't bother me if, you know, one group dominates in one field and another group dominates in, in a different field. So the hierarchical nature of life tends to be much more of a right-wing thing. And the, the left-wing tendency is towards much more egalitarianism. And in some circumstances, that egalitarian impulse is going to be more adaptive. In other circumstances, the right-wing impulse is going to be more adaptive. So let's get back to Dennis Prager on the Trump indictment. The purpose is humiliation. The purpose is, is to express the contempt that the left has for everyone who voted for Donald Trump. And of course, for Donald Trump. That is the intent. There is no... There, the it, Justice is being used... Well, not justice. The Department of Justice is being used. It is not justice that is being sought. There is a difference, in, uh, as any of you understand, of course, between using officials. So we haven't read the indictment yet. We don't know the basis of it. Yeah, I would agree with this basic suspicion of the the legitimacy of the indictment. Is it? Is it really reflecting uh, concrete, you know, violations of law worthy of a felony conviction? All right, I, I am skeptical along with other conservatives, but we haven't even seen it yet, so I don't think we should be getting so hyperbolic about it. And even more important, uh, Donald Trump really doesn't have the high ground on presidential indictments. All right, so the Republicans are saying that indicting a former president and a candidate in next year's election is beyond the pale. It's election interference. It's the stuff of banana republics. Well, as Aaron Blake makes the point in the Washington Post, Trump ceded the moral high ground on this idea a long time ago. I mean, he has advocated for the prosecutions of each of the last four presidential nominees of the Democratic Party. All right. 
every single one since 2004. In two cases, he did it during the campaign. He suggested they should be ineligible to run. Right? He has suggested countless numbers of his political opponents should be prosecuted. He agitated for that outcome when he presided over the Justice Department. Right? There's the locker-up chant leveled at Hillary Clinton. Trump goaded his 2016 rally audiences to go down that road. Other times, he explicitly endorsed it. He said late in 2016 campaign, Hillary Clinton should have been prosecuted and should be in jail. He even told Clinton to her face at a debate that if he were president, you'd be in jail. He added in a later debate that she shouldn't be allowed to run. In 2020, Trump gave a similar treatment to both his predecessors as President Barack Obama and his then opponent Joe, Joe Biden. A month before the 2020 election, Trump tweeted, where are all the arrests? Biden, Obama, and crooked Hillary led this treasonous plot. Biden shouldn't be allowed to run. Got caught. And then Trump added in an interview with Maria Bartiromo, these people should be indicted. This was the greatest political crime in the history of our country. That includes Obama and it includes Biden. These are people that spied on my campaign. And Trump indicated that he had made that case directly to his attorney general, William Barr. And I say, Bill, we've got plenty. You don't need any more to indict. Right? And Maria Bartiromo hyped the interview in a tweet stating, Trump calls for Biden, Obama to be indicted in the greatest political crime in history. So Trump has no high ground to stand on here. Right? Trump's allegations of spying in his campaign were routinely wrong on the substance. So Trump routinely tried to use the Justice Department to go after his political enemies. So former U.S. Attorney, attorney Jeffrey Berman said in his book last year that his office was charged with investigating former Secretary of State and 2004 Democratic presidential nominee John F. Kerry. This was uh, just two days after Trump tweeted about Kerry's possibly illegal shadow diplomacy. And Trump said Kerry should be prosecuted on that. Trump has accused any number of Democrats of treason. In 2018, he told his wife, White House counsel he wanted to order the Justice Department to prosecute both Bill Clinton and former FBI Director James Comey. 2019, he stated it would be appropriate for him to talk to William Barr about investigating Joe Biden. Uh, former White House Chief of Staff John Kelly under Donald Trump summed up Trump's posture in this way to the New York Times. He was always telling me that we need to use the FBI in the IRS to go after people. It was constant and obsessive and is just what he's claiming is being done to him now. So Trump has no high ground here. Trump was very eager to use the Justice Department on his enemies. He's very eager to have his political opponents uh, indicted. So that's some you know balance from the Washington Post, which is why I like to read uh, both sides on issues. So just listening to that litany there of... Donald Trump wanting to abuse the criminal justice system, right? He doesn't have any high ground here. In the justice world and seeking justice, they may have nothing in common, and indeed, in this case, they do not, and in most cases, they do not. With regard to January 6th, they do not. That's why, what was it, how many hours of video were hidden from the American people and from the defendants, I might add? Was it 40,000 hours? Why were they hidden? Because the left has never been interested in justice or truth or, in fact, anything good. It is interested in destroying that which preceded them and then taking power. These are bad people. Alvin Bragg is a bad human being. George Soros is a bad human being. There are many bad human beings. There are some good human beings. And there are the rest of humanity. So it is a battle between the many bad and the few good. Because to be good, you have to be courageous. And courage is rarer than evil. Always, there is no exception in history, the forces of evil outnumbered the forces of good. Then arises a time when 
more people joining the forces of good, as happened in World War II against the Nazis. And for that matter, the Japanese fascists. But in America today, it is a few good people, a lot of bad people, and the rest of the American people. I worry about everything in this regard, and I'm not a worrier, as many of you know. It takes a lot to get me worried. So is it really useful to talk about Alvin Bragg and your, your political opponents as just bad people? Uh, I mean, I yeah, I, I view them that way because uh, our perspectives on life are so different. But yeah, it seems seems simplistic I, I just think they have different you know different reactions to stimuli than i do and yeah i obviously feel it as you know these are bad people but I, i'd like to think that i would kind of transcend those rather primitive impulses you know, as much as i can when i'm you know commenting on the news i worry that this will have a further strain on families and friendships for all these years i have been lamenting from the depths of my heart the alienation from parents that left-wing children have created. You voted for Trump. You can't see your grandchildren. I will not allow such a toxic thing into my life. That has been their view. At this moment, however, the, the sense of alienation is in the other direction. If you think that this is good for the United States of America, what is being done to Donald Trump, it becomes difficult to have that much respect for you. I still don't want children to stop speaking to Okay, that's absurd. We we have no idea whether this Trump indictment is going to be for the good or for the ill of the United States. Yeah, right now it looks to me like the ill because I haven't read the indictment. I don't know what the indictment says. I don't know the, the basis for the indictment. This idea that you should then become alienated from your friends and family and your co-workers and acquaintances and your fellow citizens over a different understanding of the implications of the indictment for the country is absurd. Look, here's another one of my foundational principles where I guess I would disagree with Dennis Prager and most other pundits. I see the outside world and even much of myself as way too complicated for me to possibly understand. There are just too many different you know, variables. There's just too much that I don't understand. So I'd like to think that, you know, I come to this with, you know, a sense of humility, the, you know, how very little I'd understand and to just proclaim with absolute confidence that, you know, this is really bad for the country. And, you know, this, this is going to, you know, cause you to have much more difficult relations with your, your family, your friends who have a different perspective on the Trump indictment. There are just too many variables here that we don't know to just confidently proclaim that this is bad for the country and that this is very likely going to alienate you from you know, friends and family and co-workers this is absurd. Art Bell says, great to hear this live. Hope Luke on a future show goes over the top 50 list of websites. Just came out on Zero Hedge. His blog is not on the list. So the I think the only blog that I check regularly is the Drudge Report. Oh, and Steve Saylor. So I would say right now, uh, Steve Saylor's blog is the most important website on the Internet. And then after that, I'd put the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Financial Times, Washington Post, uh, L.A. Times, uh, Apple News Plus, absolutely worth spending $10 a month for access to hundreds of magazines and newspapers around the world. But yeah, Steve Saylor and I, I put uh, Matt Drudge's blog it still, even if Matt Drudge is no longer running it, I'd still put it in the top 50 websites. 
Let me get back to Dennis. Parents, or let alone spouses, or children, or cousins, or in-laws. There is still the necessity of maintaining civil relations within families. However, it is it is painful for me to say that at this point, you have lost some respect from those of us who even love you, if you cannot condemn what is happening as completely pernicious to the United States of America. This is exactly what we have seen happen in corrupt third world countries, where ex-prime ministers and ex-leaders were jailed. That's all this is. Please understand, that is all this is. This is the imprisonment of an ex-leader whom the party in power hates and wishes to destroy the movement, not just the man. They hate me. They hate me. That's absolutely absurd. There's no imprisonment here. It doesn't make the United States a banana republic. Anyone who thinks this makes the United States a banana republic should go live in a banana republic. All right. I think this indictment is a poor decision. I think it's a legal mistake. I think it's a misjudgment by the Manhattan district attorney. But it's not turning America into a third world country. And this idea that you should you know, see your family and co-workers as, you know, morally nefarious because they can't come out and pronounce judgment on on this. Why why is it necessary for people to pronounce judgment? Right? Most people don't pay a lot of attention to the news. We haven't even read the indictment yet. To pronounce judgment on the implications of this indictment without having read the indictment is reckless. It is needless rage porn. Right, this is what Dennis Prager, the happiness man, is pumping out here is rage porn. All right, listening to this, to the extent that it affects people, it will alienate people from other people or make them less happy or make them feel more like a victim or make them more angry, less effective at life, all sorts of negative consequences and absolutely reckless you know, rage porn here from, from Dennis Prager. You haven't even seen the indictment yet. And then once you do read it, you don't know... The implications, there are just so many variables here. You, if you are MAGA, if you believe in the slogan, make America great again, they hate you. If you believe that men and women cannot become the other, they hate you. If you think it should be illegal to remove a healthy teenager's breasts because she says she is a boy, they hate you. They hate you. Again, just reckless rage porn. Uh, fewer than 5% of Americans are thus, you know, so politically engaged that they just instinctively hate their fellow Americans with different political views. All right. So this idea that uh, the left, you know, everyone who voted for Joe Biden just hates you, right, is absolutely absurd. Most Americans don't live lives obsessed with politics unless it is a you know, an engaging hobby for you. And it is for me. Live streaming is an engaging hobby. It's intellectually stimulating hobby. It's an intellectually stimulating hobby that connects me to other people more than it, I think, than it disconnects me from other people. So I enjoy, you know, talking about politics, reading about politics, discussing politics. Most people don't. And for most people, it wouldn't be adaptive, effective, happiness making. It wouldn't improve their lives to be obsessed with politics. It's a good thing that most people aren't obsessed with politics. It's probably indicating a great thing that about half of Americans eligible to vote don't vote. It indicates that, one, voting doesn't really matter that much, and two, you know, they're basically okay with the direction of, of the country, right? Th those are good things, right? A normal person 
should primarily be interested in what's going on with his family, with his job, with his career path, with his education, with his friends, his extended family, his, his interests and hobbies, right? That's what you should be obsessed about, not about the implications of the Trump indictment. Now, I enjoyed, I'm here talking about the Trump indictment, but this idea that uh, there's this monolithic left of out there, you know, comprising, what, 30, 40, 50% of Americans who just hate you is needless rage porn. It's incredibly uh, unhappiness making to the extent that anyone takes this seriously. It's absurd. If you believe in standards that are universal for admission to a college or even to obtain a certain grade or to be a valedictorian, they hate you. If you believe, if you believed that it was wrong. So, I mean, invoking they hate you they hate you they really hate you you're the victim here and i'm i'm speaking out on behalf of you right this is demagoguery right i mean how how does anyone defend this so forget the notion that talk radio shows are supposed to be fair even-handed discussions featuring a diversity of opinions this is from 2008 article for milwaukee magazine the fairness doctrine was repealed what, 1985? So talk show hosts and shows can be and are usually all about the host's opinions, analyses, general worldview. Programmers learned long ago that benign conversations led by hosts who present all sides of an issue don't attract large audiences. Yes, if you enrage, you engage. And Dennis Prager here is deliberately enraging his audience. I don't think he consciously made a choice. It's just become ingrained in him by the genre that he's w working in. But to deliberately enrage your audience for no good reason is is really bad. It's really it's a really bad thing to do. That you would make your living essentially by perpetuating the notion that your listeners are victims and you know the, the whole system is is rigged against them and that much of the country hates them. Right. On other times, Dennis Prager will condemn the left for, say, teaching black people that uh, Americans hate them. Well, Dennis and the right are doing the exact same thing here, you know, inculcating in their audience that the, the left hates them. This is, this is absurd. So one entire group that rarely gets on the air are the elderly callers, unless they have something extraordinary to say. The target demo is 25 to 54. So Dennis Prager is 74 years of age. Talk show fans are not stupid. They will detect an obvious phony. The best hosts sincerely believe everything they say. So Dennis Prager seriously believes this, right? His passion is real, right? His arguments are being carefully crafted in a way that will mean something to his audience and will validate the views of his audience. The way you get success as a pundit is by validating the often inchoate impulses and perspectives of an audience, and you just articulate it more powerfully, more adeptly than they can. Art Bell says, Lionel Nation's show leaves people empty, nothing learned from the wandering, struggling chap. I mean, this stuff is bad for you, man. It's rage porn. Smart talk show hosts will, from time to time, disagree publicly with a Republican president, Republican party, or some conservative doctrine. But these disagreements are strategically chosen to prove the host is an independent thinker without appreciably harming the president or the party. Right? If a host genuinely disagrees with the conservative line, they will usually keep it to themselves. So those talk radio hosts nationally syndicated say by the Salem network such as Michael Medved who could not sign on with Dennis Prager uh, sign on with Donald Trump they got dropped by their syndicator 
that if you lack compelling arguments in favor of your candidate or point of view, attack the other side. And these attacks rely on two rhetorical devices, which I call, I knew this would happen if, and the preemptive strike. So the first strategy, I knew this would happen, right? A host will describe something a liberal has said or done that conservatives disagree with, but for which liberal has not been widely criticized, and then say, you know what would have happened if a conservative had said or done that? He would have been filleted by the liberal media, right? So this is particularly effective because it is a twofer. It simultaneously reinforces the notion that conservatives are victims and that liberals are the enemy. Second strategy, the preemptive strike, is used when a host knows that news is reflecting poorly on conservatives. It's about to break and it's going to be more widespread. So you then criticize the mainstream media for sensationalizing news that is damaging to conservatives. So good talk show hosts get their listeners so lathered up that they can truly change public policy. Right. You inspire rage in people, but when you inspire rage in people, you make them less happy and less effective in life. Right. If you just pound away on something day in, day out, hour after hour, right, you can inflame people. So talk show hosts may savage politicians and others they oppose, but they fear criticism or critiques of any kind. They can dish it out, but they can't take it. Key reason talk radio succeeds is because its hosts can exploit the fears and perceived victimization of a large swath of conservative-leaning listeners. They feel victimized because liberals have ignored or trivialized their concerns and have stereotyped these Americans as uncaring curmudgeons. Because of that, there will always be listeners who believe that they are the only members of the media who care about them. And uh, political scientist James Joyner wrote February 21, 2021, about Dennis Prager's chosen medium. Rush Limbaugh's shtick ultimately transformed the conservative movement in destructive ways because it showed how lucrative playing to the prejudices of an aggrieved base can be. A business model that depends on keeping people riled up and feeding their belief system will inevitably become mean-spirited and dishonest. Discussions of nuanced differences of emphasis, which is where politics in a democracy should gravitate, aren't enough to get millions to tune in for three hours a day. No, the opposition must be monsters out to destroy all the good people hold dear. And this is exactly what Dennis Prager is doing here. He's making out the opposition. They, they are monsters. They hate you, right? And they're out to destroy all good things. Long to close schools for nearly two years. They hate you. You understand? They hate us. We were right on every issue. But it doesn't matter because right and wrong are utterly subjective. This week I read to you. Right. We, uh, Dennis Prager says the conservatives were, were right on, on every issue. Really? D during COVID? I mean, Dennis just had a terrible, terrible record. He was just consistently awful with regard to the coronavirus. Consistently awful. Right. In the spring of 2020, he had COVID minimalist Michael Fermento on his show five times saying that the current concern about COVID was hysterical, and Dennis agreed. So this is how Pregatopia noted February 25, 2020. Dennis talks to Michael Fermento, investigative reporter and science writer. What is going on with the coronavirus? The left fears everything. March 2nd. Dennis talks to Michael Fermento. Topic is the coronavirus. Fermento sees no need to change his original prognosis. This is a media-generated panic. March 10. Dennis has a hard time understanding why we are panicking about the coronavirus. Why is it so different than the regular flu? Well, because it's about 20 times more deadly than the regular flu. Uh, the virus is now past peak in both China and South Korea, according to this Pregatopia mention. Uh, January 23, 2020, Michael Fermento published an op-ed in the New York Post titled, Don't Buy the Media Hype Over the New China Virus. March 8, he published, Coronavirus is going to hit its peak and start falling sooner than you think.
This is all just drama. Once you start debunking mass hysteria over outbreaks, it gets easy because the same patterns repeat themselves. The best remedy for all epidemic hysteria is perspective. How is this new outbreak different, thus potentially more dangerous from other diseases we have dealt with in the past? So when the coronavirus hit and started dominating the news in March of 2020, I read a book on the Spanish flu, which killed hundreds of thousands of Americans back uh, 1918, 1919. And when I saw the devastation that this particular epidemic had unleashed 100 years ago, it made me take coronavirus more seriously. It, it seemed to me to be a, a repetition in, in severity. Now, the 1918-1919 Spanish flu primarily apparently killed young people, and with the coronavirus, it primarily killed people over 70. So there were differences, but there were also great similarities. That's why I did not have an instinctive knee-jerk reaction that governments were overreacting. I didn't accept that they were right either. I like to think I pretty much stayed in the middle. Uh, Pregatopia show notes for February 27, 2020. The world is panicking over the coronavirus, which has killed very few people outside of China. Why aren't we panicked every year by the common flu? So the most comprehensive academic study we have over the average number of lives lost in the United States due to coronavirus is 16, 16 years of life per coronavirus death. March 2nd, Pregatopia. The world is consumed by the coronavirus fears. Are people who fear the world will end in 12 years from carbon emissions more likely to fear the virus than those who are skeptical about man-made global warming? March 5, coronavirus panic has reached a fever pitch, even though you're remarkably more likely to die from the flu. That's absolutely false. Uh, the COVID was about 20 times more deadly than the flu. March 6, what if we reacted this way to the regular flu, which kills tens of thousands of Americans every year? Okay, coronavirus deaths statistics are based upon death certificates and first world nations take death certificates seriously does it mean they're perfect no but they are the result of you know serious study investigation very professional methods the so-called flu numbers those are projections which are largely enhanced to try to encourage people to get the flu vaccine so these astronomical flu numbers like typical flu season die between 18,000, you know, kills between 18,000, 52,000 last year. You'll get these crazy numbers from the CDC. These aren't based on death certificates. These are projections, right? Have you ever known anyone who died of the flu? Can you name a famous person who died from the flu? You can't name a famous person who died from the flu. It's highly unlikely you know anyone who died from the flu. So the number of flu deaths each year are wildly hyped compared to reality. Right. Now, COVID deaths can't come from death certificates. They're not based on projections. March 11. Israel, Italy, this is from Pregatopia, March 11, 2020. Israel, Italy, and soon other countries are shutting down because of coronavirus fears. Many universities and colleges are shutting too. Dennis had two speeches canceled this week. 1,000 coronavirus cases confirmed in the U.S. That compares to 30 to 40 million annual flu cases. Well, one thing is 20 times more debilitating and devastating than the other, right? COVID, about 20 times more deadly than the average flu. March 12, 2020, Pregatopia. Dennis compares the swine flu to the coronavirus. The swine flu is much worse, but the world didn't shut down. Why are we shutting down now? Dennis returns to the public health panic of the century, right? We've had over a million Americans dead from coronavirus. We, we had a dramatic reduction in 
you know, average life expectancy of something like a year due to the coronavirus. March 13, the country continues to shut down. Is this the right prescription or an overreaction? Why weren't we paralyzed during the swine flu in 2009? 60 million people got it then, 25,000 people died. March 17, there are harmful consequences to shutting down the U.S. economy. Are we allowed to discuss this or is it now forbidden? Obviously, you're allowed to discuss it. We don't know how many people have the virus, so there is no accurate way to measure the death rate. 90 or so people have died in the U.S. from the coronavirus. Right now, there is no indication of imminent disaster. March 18, Dennis talks to Victor Davis Hansen. Victor remains uneasy with the destruction of individual lives and the general economy over the coronavirus scare. Yes, it's a serious issue, but what is the price we are paying to shut down the economy? March 3rd, Dennis wrote about the coronavirus in his weekly column. We go from hysteria to hysteria. We now endure multiple hysterias at once. The latest is the coronavirus. Unless the coronavirus becomes a worldwide mass killer, it will be fair to say that the hysteria over coronavirus will cause much more suffering than the virus. March 17, 2020, Dennis wrote, if the government could order society to cease functioning from restaurants and other businesses to schools due to a possible health disaster, it's likely, highly likely that a Democratic president will declare emergency and assert authoritarian rule to prevent what they consider an even greater existential to human life posed by global warming. Yes, this is a good point in that government can essentially take all your rights away based upon an emergency, a putative emergency, a, a threatening emergency. Right. This is the state of exception where basically all rights go away. So Dennis called the the lockdowns right the the greatest you know man-made mistake in a century. He, I mean he pushed drugs like hydroxychloroquine and is it the what were the protocols of that acidic uh, doctor in New York for, for which there, there's no evidence. Man, so he was just consistently awful in his, his reactions to, to COVID as, as compared to a much more thoughtful analysis that you'd get if you tuned into Steve Saylor. So if you compare Dennis Prager and Steve Saylor, like if those two people write on, on the same topic or opine on the same topic, uh, Steve Saylor is so consistently more profound th than Dennis. You that in Ontario, another country going communist. In Ontario, the largest province in Canada, the Education Association there announced. I mean, uh, Canada's going communist. I mean, just dramatic overstatement, hate porn. Uh, Bell says Dennis Prager is a slave to his radio listeners. Submit to the act or get the Medved boot are his choices. Rounding up listeners should turn them off, but they are like sports fans that want to be fed. 120 new sub-variants from the China D-lockdown. Maybe we'll see Luke walk and talk with his chin mask on again. So the most comprehensive study analysis, meta-analysis. Okay, we have... Okay, uh, Aaron, what's, what's going on, man? Oh, he... Aaron, you're, you're in here... So, but I can't hear you. So, uh, and he's gone. Okay. Maybe we'll, we'll get him back. So let me play some prayers, see if we can get Aaron back. That the idea that there is one right answer in the mathematics is a form of white supremacy. So in effect, if you say in Canada, two and two equals four, there is no other possible answer. 
They hate you. But as I said, the number of people willing to fight is very, very low. It's a small number because it takes courage. I will read to you after the the break. You know why the number of people who are willing to fight may be very, very low is because fighting isn't always the best response, right? There are some circumstances where you should be fighting. But uh, there are lots of other circumstances where fighting is a bad idea. So people who are choosing not to fight, right, are frequently making the best decision, right? Spend time with your family, friends, you know, get educated, uh, donate money to causes you believe in. But uh, allowing, you know, fighting the, the left to take over your life is usually not going to be a good decision for most people. I will read to you what Alan Dershowitz, who voted for Joe Biden, and who's a lifelong liberal, former professor at Harvard, the best-known Harvard law professor, best-known law professor in America, believes that this is a complete subversion of justice. Incidentally, I was with Alan Dershowitz at another public dialogue a few months ago, and I, I confirmed what I had read. I asked him point blank, is it true, Professor Dershowitz, you have lost all your lifelong friends? And he said, yes. He is not a Trump supporter. He is an America supporter. And they're the most hated. You're even more hated if you support this country. Wow, if you have lost your lifetime friends because of uh, your support for Donald Trump, that's that's fascinating. I mean, it's sad. It, it's fascinating. It's, it's breathtaking. It's incredibly painful to hear. I'm just wondering if there are other reasons Alan Dershowitz might have lost his lifetime friends aside from his support for Donald Trump. Glib Medley says, Dennis Prager lost me back when he was surprised that Representative Ellison wanted to swear oath of office with a Koran rather than a Bible. So, Dennis Prager made the point that uh, people should be sworn in on the Bible because that's such a central book to America as opposed to the Koran. I don't have a strong opinion on it. So I'll have to think about it more. And its values than if you only support President Trump. Every day when I pass a mirror, I still can't believe it. it they get away with mutilation, helping fighters. Did I say that right? There are more bad people than fighters against bad people. That's right. That's correct. I try to swell those ranks with everything that I do. But helping fighters is just as important as fighting. You can't do nothing now. You can't do nothing now. They get away with everything. They get away with mutilating children. <laughs> Indicting an ex-president is, is nothing compared to mutilating children. We live in the age of... You don't think people on the left couldn't make, you know, similar rage-based appeals about how the right gets away with everything, right? This idea that the left just gets away with everything as opposed to the right is, is delusional. The left gets away with some things. The right gets away with some things. I get away with some things. Like, do I really want you to be aware of, like, the most embarrassing emails I've ever sent, uh, the, you know, the most simp-like behavior that I've engaged in? I remember, I remember I was sitting in a car talking to this Jewish woman after a Jewish event, and I was basically crying because she wouldn't have sex with me. <laughs> I mean, 
I I have been so ridiculous. I have been so pathetic. Uh, uh, oh man, there was a stage in my life. Wow, uh, 2010, where I asked about six acquaintances to borrow money. Oh, uh, none of them did it. Uh, but oh no, one of them did come. Th well, no, came came through a little bit. Uh, I mean, I've engaged in so many, you know, em embarrassing, uh, just, ugh, just, ugh, you know, ugh. If you saw me at, at my worst, like, we we all, and I, I guess to an extent, I've gotten away with some things because I've, I've done damage to people. Like, I've said things that are reckless and untrue. I mean, think about the way I, I went after that kindly elderly gentleman, Elliot Blatt, on this show last week i went after him hard and he wasn't talking about gas as in gas chambers he was talking about rising petrol prices and i was so unfair to him but you know i've been blogging and sharing my opinions online since 1997 and i've often been unfair to people i've been inaccurate i've been intemperate and you know would i really like to see a, a collection of you know the worst things that I've said, just you know, assembled and and publicized to the world. No, no, I wouldn't. So, to to a certain extent, we've all gotten away with things. Like you've done things that you would not like publicized, and I've done things that I would not like publicized. So, yeah, we've all you know victimized other people. A great way to get back into reality is to simply reflect on how. Is your selfishness hurting the lives of people around you? Right? So if I was like booming my voice out right now, like if if I didn't have like a, a sound, you know, basically a soundproof room, you know, I could very easily be detracting from the quality of life around me. Like if if you own a dog, if your dog barks, you're detracting from the quality of lives of people around you. If you're not working when you're being paid to work, you, know, you are stealing from your employer. Uh, if you're, I mean, there are just so many ways that we, if you're starting up your motorbike and, and it's really loud, right? That's, you know, hurting, hurting your neighbors. Like we all do you know, bad things that hurt other people. Let's have a quick look here at the chat. Not easy to enrage without coming off as an odd sore loser. Dennis needed to oppose the lockdown's economic damage. COVID cash is why we have inflation today. Mergenomics went over the shedding studies. Uh, I won't go into that. <laughs> oh, I am curious what uh, William Barr, I think was a pretty good attorney general. So I am curious what William Barr has to say about the indictment. I think he'll be more measured. I expect he'll be more thoughtful than Dennis Prager. So we've got William Barr speaking now on Fox News. So here we go, talking to Shannon Bream on Fox News Sunday. Welcome back to Fox News Sunday. Thank you, Shannon. Okay, a lot to unpack there. We don't know about this indictment on Tuesday. Um, fair to say you and the president have had a complicated relationship at times. Disagreement over whether you quit, whether he fired you, all of those things. But when it comes to this, you do seem to agree 
this is a political prosecution based on what we know. Yeah, based on what we know, it certainly appears to be. And I think the American people see that. It's the very essence of uh, the abuse of the prosecutive function, which is pursuing a person rather than pursuing a, a real crime. Do you know his critics, though, say that, okay, every American should be subjected to rule and order and justice, and this president, um, well, according to the New York Times editorial board, not surprisingly, they think he flirted with that. They say Donald Trump spent years as a candidate in office and out of office, ignoring democratic and legal norms and precedents, trying to bend the Justice Department and the judiciary to his whims and behaving as if rules didn't apply to him. And as the news of the indictment shows, they do. Okay, Peace in the Atlantic back in 2021 talked about your time at the DOJ and said that you were widely seen as a Trump lackey who politicized the Justice Department. So did you ever feel pressure to bend the law or to ignore it? And what do you make of, you know, the president's critics saying this is all just catching up with him now? Well, as I've said repeatedly, he, he never direct, uh, directly pressured me to do anything in a criminal case. Now, he's out there tweeting all the time, which made my life difficult. And he was calling for people's scalps. And, you know, from what he said after I left, he was mad at me for not delivering scalps. Uh, but the idea that I was a toady was something fostered by the, you know, the mainstream media. And I've, you know, which of his enemies were prosecuted? Who did I, you know, use the criminal justice process against? And there's usually crickets because there's not a case of that. But the other thing about this is I think the case, uh, based again on what's being reported, the case lacks any legal basis. It, it, it's pursuing somebody on the, it, there's nothing inherently wrong or illegal about making a hush payment. They're saying he, he falsified the corporate record. But for that to even be a misdemeanor, you have to be trying to defraud somebody. And it's unclear exactly who was defrauded. This is his own company. And then finally, and most importantly, from the federal standpoint, the idea that this was a uh, campaign finance uh, violation is simply wrong. It's wrong on the law. So he is facing other cases. Um, we've got special counsel investigating um, the Mar-a-Lago, the documents, January 6th lead up. Um, as somebody who headed up the DOJ, are you confident they can be neutral, that they, they will be in this case? Uh, I, I, hope, I hope they will be. And, and uh, you know, I, as I've said repeatedly, I think the document case is the most serious case. I don't think they went after those documents to get Trump. I think they actually wanted the documents back. And what's at issue in that case is not the taking of the documents. It's what he did after the government sought them and subpoenaed them and whether there was any obstruction. And I think that's the most serious one out there. And uh, uh, the other one, I think, the January 6th one, is a difficult case uh, to make, and it also runs into First Amendment issues. You know, to where are you going to draw the line between legitimate First Amendment activity, protesting an election, and actually conspiring to undo an election? So, that's a difficult case to make. But um, I'm, you know, I'm hopeful the department will approach it properly. Um, I'll ask you what I asked Jim Trustee as well. If the president was your client, would you put him on the stand? Because I got to imagine in any of these cases, if it gets to trial, he's going to want to defend himself. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm, I'm not his lawyer. Uh, you know, generally, I think it's a bad idea to go on the stand, and I think it's particularly a bad idea for Trump because he lacks all self-control. And uh... okay, some more measured analysis there from William Barr. Let's go back here to Dennis Prager on the Trump indictment. Child sacrifice. About 20 years ago, I wrote, it's on the internet, how the left keeps me religious. 
My friend, there is no religious individual living today that has done as much for my belief in God and the Bible as the left has. Because the left is the product of secularism. Only secular people say that men give birth. I don't care if you're an atheist. You have to draw that conclusion. The, the downhill slide of this country is, is, is so sad. Lincoln was right, the last best hope on earth. That was the title of my book about the left and America, Still the Best Hope. I would uh, actually beg you to read it. It'll, it'll explain what is going on. Right now, we're not the best hope. In fact, there is no best hope, <laughs> to be honest. Who's the best hope today? Britain? Canada? Denmark? Australia? Well, since best is a relative term, maybe we still are, we have the most active anti-left movement on earth in the United States. So maybe we still are. Ironically, we may, we may still be the last best hope. Would you look this up? I, I heard Glenn Beck on Tucker Carlson saying that Brazil... I'd rather be referred to as Pigger. I'm now Pigger. I'm not Aaron anymore. I'm a <laughs> first-time uh, caller, long-time listener. Uh, it just pains me to see you like this. Uh, it just seems like you're self-destructing. I mean, you're already self-destructed, but you just... Uh, every opportunity you get you, you just you're defeating yourself um and uh you said something a couple weeks ago or last week about your dad having a lar large congregation and him losing all that congregation and it just clicked you're trying to be your dad you're trying to run your your congregation into the ground the way your dad did and i wonder if i could could somehow convince you out of it that that's interesting because often we are in the control of of forces you know that we don't you know fully understand but uh yeah i i do see many parallels between my father and and myself we we do have it, these tendencies but uh tell me more yeah it just seems so obvious that this is your time to shine this is like a, a time that has never happened in the history of the united states it's it's everybody on your side is just uh, aghast and, and they want to i mean i don't really know the uh the issues i don't really want to come in and, and uh and chime in but i know that your former um audience would love to come in at this time and just vent this is the time to really come to terms that we're on one side and they're on the other side and you and here you are doing the same thing you did with covid i don't think it's an accident that you're bringing up covid because that's what uh estrange you from a, a, a lot of your audience there too is that uh there there is a a one side that you're supposed to be on that your audience is supposed to be on and you're completely alienating yourself from them and it seems like on purpose yeah you, you're right i am alienating myself from much of my audience because i'm saying what i believe and what i believe is alien from much of my former audience it, it just it seems like you're trying to defeat your you're trying to crash the plane the way you think your dad did and and as a fellow jew you know uh you and i are <clears throat> jews and um it just pains me to see you you you, you go down this route because you're you're going after because i i see myself doing the same thing i i catch myself doing the same thing it's like my dad uh, I'll, I'll give you the, I'll give you the instance of today of today with with my wife. Uh, I had a really bad argument with my wife, and it's just like I want to 
I want to destroy this marriage. And my dad got married three times and I can see how I can, I can see a similarity there. Like, uh, let's, let's trash this marriage the way my dad trashed the marriage. That's, that's who I am. But, uh, I, I, I think that I'll get out of it because I'm, I try to model myself that God is my dad. That's, that's what I've been working on for the last 30 years. And I think it works. And I, I, and the things that you say, like, you, you seem to, to not actually believe in God. But I, I, I believe in you, God. Where, not, where do I say I don't believe in God? Or what are okay, you referencing? So there was something that you were saying uh, that I was listening to um, today, that, but I don't remember what it was. So I can't uh, specifically come up with a great argument on, on that. But uh, there, there, there are things that you said where um, God has taken, taken a back seat. But by the way, you're completely okay with, with the, um, with the uh, Orthodox religion, which I think has has done just that. They they put God in the back seat, and they put the rabbis uh, in the in the in the in the forefront. The way that the same way you're putting your dad in the forefront, they're putting their dad in the forefront over God. No. Yeah. <laughs> no. This is great. No, I I really enjoyed the. Uh, the the challenge here and the, these uh, interesting perspectives you you have to say so i i believe in god but i don't believe that god is sufficient for for a good life and i believe that you can overdo anything including belief in god and also because i've spent almost all my life in organized religion whether seventh day adventist growing up or Judaism, which I converted to in my 20s, I find I often need language outside of God. So I sometimes substitute the word reality instead of God because I, I get inundated with, with God talk. So I, find I need different approaches to life, not just the God-centered approach. And so I welcome, you know, atheists. I think atheists have something to, to bring to the table. I welcome different perspectives and I, I need different language. So for example, I have heard 500,000 times in my life, it feels like you need to develop a relationship with God. And I heard that, I've heard things like that so much that it's like deadened the meaning of that. So I have found it, for example, much more helpful for me recently to try to have a positive relationship with reality. So I like trying to use different words for God, different different paths in to a you know more productive life aside from just invoking god i i just often find with with uh, religion and religious people that everything can be overdone and sometimes religion and and god talk can be used to try to block off reality so i like you know both i like the the secular approach i like the religious approach i want to i want to learn from from all approaches but uh, t talk to me more about a God or where you think I might benefit from, say, a closer relationship with God? Well, that, that's uh, that's specifically the way that you describe God is, is putting God uh, into the corners, is, is putting a God into a box. And uh, I can't say it now. There's nothing else besides him. Uh, there's nothing else other than God. Every, everything that you mentioned is God. Your friends are God. Me, me and you are talking right now is God. There's, there's nothing that isn't God. And so all you can do is try to uh, distract yourself and uh, away from that. 
and um and put god into a box which i think is what you what you do hmm now th this idea that everything is god that's not the that's not the um that's not the, the mainstream Jewish perspective, for example. The mainstream Jewish perspective is that we have freedom of will and freedom to reject God. So certainly individuals can reject God. They are not, they are not part of, of God. They, they are something you're, that God created. You're a piece of God that was, that's rejecting God. There's nothing else besides you. How do you, how do you interpret uh, uh, in Od Milavado? Well, man being made in the image of God is not the same as saying that man is God. All right, it's saying there's that... No, there's nothing else besides him. What, what, how would you interpret that? I would interpret that as poetic flourish. I would not interpret that as either, you know, philosophically or logically rigorous. Okay, well, I mean, I, I take everything, like, uh, super serious, you know, literally. And uh, that's what put me in the, in uh, Israel. And... Uh, and I can see that's that's how uh, the majority of the people that you have joined yourself with um, uh, treat this, and that's why we're in the situation that we're in. We have the complete opportunity to perform the Torah as it was meant to be, and instead we put God in a box and live out our lives and don't think that we're a part of the big picture. That's another, that's another way that you uh, related to um, the news. It's just like it's a hobby. It's something that you that looks interesting. That is something to 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 uh, talk about with to other people. But this is this is our life. What, what, what's happening to Trump right now? This this affects us. His history. We live in history. Things that happen in history are are affecting us. What the what happened in 1776 is the reason why you praise America. This is what made America great. It's, these things aren't in a box off to itself with the with with the elite it affects everyone okay that that's uh, interesting so how much how much of an ability do you think that uh, that you have to for example or I have to shape history I would say it's minuscule so therefore because there's, there's nothing I can do essentially about almost everything in the news but make the the tiniest of of effects on it therefore uh viewing it as a hobby is i think a much healthier attitude but how much of an effect do you think that you or i can have on history you and i uh might not have uh, any effect at at all or a small effect or or, or medium effect or major effects that deals with how talented we are or how involved we are or how honest we are or how gift you know what what we're doing like what's the difference between you and trump the difference between me and trump is that trump has much more of an ability to affect the world if, if trump gets re-elected as president of the united states he'll be the most powerful man in the world if you were to list you know the one million most powerful people in the world i would not make the list right but like what what made him him like he always puts himself in, into this uh into this mix that he, he thinks he's a, a part of, of this before he was president for you know, many years before he became president he was always uh in these issues like he he, he always uh, went for greatness like what i mean that's what makes him him i mean to, to say like i here's the thing like what's so different about him like 
he's got two legs two arms he's got a mouth he's got eyes like what, what makes him so different from you and i uh money uh resources uh talents he's had 50 years in, in the, the public eye because he had money and he had uh, an ability to capture media attention yeah but if you took your attitude of that he you know his life does not uh influence other people's lives and he just lives his own small little um existence then w where where would that lead him well i i strongly believe that we influence other people like i, I strongly believe that we affect other people i would just well that's say... all it is that's all life is that's all that is it's just he's better at it than us Yes, he is better at it than us. I mean, way I need better. to <laughs> way better. Like uh, Dennis Prager, he's way better radio host or talk show host than I am. He does a, a much better show. He's a much more compelling speaker. He is much more entertaining. He is just much more adept at what he does. He is a you know much much better public speaker th than I am. So M Magic jo Johnson is. Uh... A way better basketball player than me so i was playing basketball what i don't try i try my best right and that's what life be, that's what life you, is you don't just say well i'll never be magic johnson so I, i'm not going to throw that ball in, into the hoop well i'm to, to use that as a metaphor i am throwing the ball into the hoop doing my right. my tiny little show but i yes. li like to think that i don't have an exaggerated sense of my own importance i think having it, I think both are wrong to either have an exaggerated sense of your own importance or to minimize your own importance. Either but either direction is wrong. You could make an effect. You you had a uh, show that was on its way uh, to to a level that would affect people. I mean, I think it was already on that level, and it went away. So it's like you can't say that that you're not that type of person you you do have that in inside you you can be that person yeah but i, I could, think i, I, I think there's have something a bigger show. what i could have a bigger show i could get a bigger audience by telling you know giving the audience what it wants so i could i could you know have more blood sports or i could you know be much more ideologically reliable so that the people with a particular perspective on life, you know, would feel fed every time they come to my show, but that would come at the cost of, of me saying what I believe to be true and right. Okay, so what, let me, for example, why are you bringing up COVID right now? Oh, because uh, Dennis Prager was saying how the, you know, the powers that be were just consistently lying to us about COVID. And I, my perspective is that they did the best they could with a difficult situation and that uh, Dennis Prager was consistently awful with regard to COVID. So he, he was using COVID and the lockdowns to, to slam the establishment and the powers that be and the, the Democrats. And I was pointing out my, my different perspective that, that COVID was a serious issue that uh, the people reacted to in an unprecedented you know, struggle an unprecedented challenge in, in a first, you know, influenza epidemic of this severity in a hundred years, and that uh, those who minimized it, you know, seriously uh, mistook the the severity of what they were de dealing with, such as Dennis Prager. But you really went into it for a long time, and it seems like you you know that this is something that you lost a lot of viewership with, and it seems like oh, now I have another thing that I can really, you know, 
trash my uh, show with. Like, this is going to, like, completely... What, what do you have, like, 10 viewers right now? Like, uh, this is going to take... This is gonna <laughs> this is gonna take those ten ten away. And I'll just be like one just just me and you will be on the uh <laughs> watching the uh the Luke Ford extravaganza. anyway, I don't I don't think I have much more to say, but um Anything you wanna it, wanna talk it just about? Pain, it pains me. It pains me to see see you like this. It just pains me to see a guy that can just really make a difference, especially now. Like this is like huge story this is a story that can like like you can get people uh involved in uh inventing and and lose your youtube channel and uh, <laughs> over and uh and, and and get into the old luke ford that was like awesome and uh and it just seems like you're going into the uh covid phase immediately like immediately going to, to, to covid mode like but, the stranger uh the stranger viewers and uh and just burn the uh burn the program down completely so what do you think i should do when i believe something that is alien to the overwhelming majority of my viewers it's it's almost like you um it's almost like you you don't have the like you you said that like the 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 uh the, the facts aren't out on the case right now um but it seems like you're 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 leaning towards um, being contrarian to your own audience. Like it just seems see, like by, by you bringing up the uh, COVID thing right away, it's like you're preparing us to say, "Oh no, it's not such a big deal." And by the way, like already, like people being upset right now, I think is a very valid reaction to what's going on. I think really, uh, I think that's the same same way to go. But, right, uh, but you're like, I don't see anything uh, to get upset over yet. Uh, you know, I, I, let's let's wait until the facts come in. It just seems like you're preparing us for like the, the COVID experience. But but you still haven't answered me. What should I do when what I believe is alien? Let's say what I frequently I get the sense that what I believe is alien to 100 percent of the people who are watching me. So should I say what I truly believe and alienate 100% of my audience, or should I only talk to my audience about those topics where we have something in common? You should question what you believe. And let's, let's think about it this way. Uh, you had a position that's contrarian to your own audience about COVID. Okay, that's fine. But you're on YouTube and no one can call in and say otherwise, because at the moment they say anything about COVID, you'll be off the off off the air. I mean, I, I, I know you I guess you gave me the uh, link a while back because you, you think I'm I'm safe and everything. But I think there's some really, there used to be some really interesting, dangerous people that used to show up in your show, some really goofy uh quirky people that used to show up some people that misfits and and weirdos that used used to show up and that that was really interesting and by that fact by you not letting those people in anymore by saving this youtube channel and bowing down to them makes me think that it's not such a sincere th position to have that you had with covid it's just that you're going along with you with the youtube uh uh, crowd and you, you sound you sound a lot like um uh, oh god now I can't some other name uh, Richard 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 Spencer Richard, Richard, Richard Spencer. Spencer 
yeah. how he's how he made a turn on everybody. I mean, in, in uh, you like he's doing the same thing. Uh, so l let me let me ask you about that. So I used to have a lot of wig nats on, and I really enjoyed that. But yeah, that they're was, fun. They're, they're fun. fun. It was great. It was entertaining. I really, really enjoyed that. It was like good numbers. It was a successful show. Yeah, it was great times. The problem is then Wignat started killing people and it, it makes it more difficult. So prior to prior to Charlottesville, Wignats hadn't killed anyone, right? Alt right had not killed anyone. Um old style white nationalists had killed people, but the Wignats had not killed anyone. Now that Wignat's starting to kill people, it makes it a more difficult thing to just have them on and to have you know have these you know outrageous conversations when people who use the same rhetoric are going into walmarts and slaughtering people do you do you see a dilemma there well um i think i mean the argument would be that them speaking out to you and hearing other people's opinion would would make them less inclined to do so and I totally agree with that. The problem is that I don't live in isolation. You know, I live in a wider society. So the price to pay, not just on YouTube, but in, in my real life for having the wig nats on is, you know, 20 times the price that it used to be once they start killing people. So I, I shape this show around my life. I don't shape my life around the show. And so it's harder to have you know, people who use, you know, white genocide and et cetera. It's just harder for the well-being of my life to have those people on now, even if I agree with you. I think it's better to talk to them. You know, I think it's better to engage in, in, in dialogue. But I live in, in a community, like I live in a, in a wider world. It's just, it's just much more difficult to do that now. There's just a much bigger price to pay. And I want to be happy. I want to do a show and walk down the street and, you know, get on a bus or get on the subway or get an Uber, uh, go to shul, you know, go into a restaurant or a coffee house and be at ease. And if I had, you know, wig nats on the show as much as I did back in 2018, I, I couldn't have that normal life. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, So yeah, I agree it, with it, you. It just, I wish it, I could it, have them on. Th it's, then it seems it's like a, you're you're kind of cursed. Then, like uh, in your heart, you want you want to talk about these people. You think it's an important thing to talk about, and we agree that they would be less likely to kill people than like than more likely. Really, like you could be a hero. You know, who knows? Maybe through your interaction with one of these nutbags, that they actually became less violent um and so so you're saying that's not uh important what's important is you getting along with with uh people at the shul um yeah i, I, I guess it's that's a decision and uh, <laughs> it just makes it okay so it, it it just that you presented yourself uh for for a couple of years not that guy and and it just makes me miss that guy that was like who i guess didn't care so much about uh, what the shul thought about him. Yeah, those were fun times. Yeah, and I you know, thoroughly enjoyed that time. Also, I, I got to be honest, um, interacting with these many of these marginalized characters, it made me 
nervous. It started to make me nervous that these are frequently not people with high levels of self-control and the type of audience that you attract, uh, some of them are, let's say, rather unsavory. And so it's a dangerous road. Like I wrote about the porn industry for many years and not a lot of self-control in the porn industry, some very dangerous characters in the porn industry. And I am 56 years of age now. I am not the, you know, the brave 32 or even 42 year old. I am much older and I am much more cautious about bringing marginalized people into my life now. You know, I still do I mean, it far I, more I, than normal people do, but I am more, more cautious. I, I mean, I'm, I'm close to that age and uh, I feel like more, I feel the opposite. Like you want to kill me? Like, let's go. I'm, 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 I'm way less afraid to die than I was in my 30s and 40s. Uh, yeah, especially but... with my medical pro problems. But uh, yeah, um, so I, I guess I don't uh, share you with. I, and also, like, uh, no, I guess go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Well, it's it, I, I don't want to throw away my life. You know, I recognize that I'm going to die. But w when you when you bring enough wignats into your life, you are just you know, increasing the odds of, you know, some very negative, unpredictable things going on in, in your life. And so, yeah, I have, I have concerns about, you know, not just my well-being, but uh, what, what goes on with me affects other people. The, you know, the, Wignacks, the Wignacks were getting their, their uh, butts handed to them by, by other people in your, like, uh, was his name Carl? No. Um, who's the, who's that young kid? Kyle. Was... Kyle. Yeah. Kyle. Kyle. Yeah. He was he was destroying them, yeah. Like uh, if if you wanted it, that, that's a great service too. Like uh, I don't know. I, it, it is, it is, and it's it's also there's just a huge price to pay in well being for, for, like the the highest rating show I ever did was the Jim Goad Saturday Night Massacre. Uh, one, it destroyed my friendship with Jim Goad. Like that's over since the time of that show. I had to deal with just a lot of negative consequences from that show and it, you know, increased my tension levels. It, you know, I had to, yeah, just had to deal with a lot of surus as a result of that show. So on the one hand, you know, I'm consistently told it's the most entertaining show I've ever done. Um, on the other hand, you know, that show carried the most negative consequences for my life of any show that I've done. So I, I guess I increasingly choose my own happiness. Also, I, I don't believe that the, the show, you know, only possibly has a positive effect when you bring on Wignats. It also could destabilize some people. And like I, I did a show with, with someone, Godwood Podcast, and it never occurred to me that doing doing three or four shows discussing Mein Kampf and contrasting that with a Torah perspective on the world could destabilize him, but it absolutely blew up his life. Like he he blew up his life as, as a result of, of those shows. And it never occurred to me that someone who was married, someone who had children, someone who had a prestigious position in, in a community would, you know, start tweeting and saying genocidal things uh, as, as a result of uh, discussing, reading about Mein Kampf. And so that was also very, very painful to me. Because uh, God would, God would was a friend, and so it not only blew up his life, it destroyed my friendship with him. So I lost an important friend in my life, 
as a result of you know going out on the edge his his mind is alive i i would like to live just a day of his life right now today i mean it's like uh he's an amazing guy i like, agree why, why, and but he's gone so, but from what, my life now i lost that friendship over the repercussions to him from doing some shows with me he just he lost good judgment he didn't have bad judgment when he did shows with me like he's fine when he's talking to someone who's you know at least has some rootedness in reality and he's still a very smart guy and says some intelligent things but he you know made a lot of you know ill-judged comments as a you know in the following after you know that series that we did and it really you know damaged his life and it didn't just damage his life that then damages the lives of everyone who cares about him so i am i'm not my own like whatever goes on with me affects other people I, I don't know. I, I think I've been here long enough, actually. <laughs> um, maybe I'll call back later, but uh, it's good talking to you. Yeah, good to, um, good to chat. Good to get yeah, that, yeah. that perspective. Yeah, the, the, there's, there's stuff to think about. Maybe, maybe I'll call in a week or two, and uh, maybe I'll have some other stuff. To, yeah, to, yeah, to great at. to great, great to hear from you. It's been a long time, man. How long has right. it been? Bring, bring, bring it back. That's what I'm saying. Bring it back. Bring back, bring back the uh, the the uh, magic. That's all I have to say. Thanks, man. Great to all hear right. from you. Okay, Bye. take care. Bye, bye. Yeah. So, one of the the keys to success in life and success with a show. This is how the show is like life. You need people like forty just talking. <laughs> You know, to his his Logitech stream cam is not a compelling show. Uh, Forty just you know reading to you the most profound passages he's been you know studying uh, is not a great show. It needs the show needs other people, and when I alienate those people so they no longer want to come on the show, the show suffers. Not just the show suffers, you know, my life suffers. Elliot Blatt, there are no second acts in live streaming. And I miss, I miss the good times that we had in, in 2018. And I have to take responsibility for, there were probably some needless choices I made or some poor choices I made, or maybe I didn't phrase things correctly, or I maybe I went off on, you know, ill-judged uh, ventures. Like, I, I'm sure I played a role in this show not being as compelling and as entertaining as it used to be. And I, I my choices played a role in losing the community that, you know, much of the community that we used to have. So plenty of reason for me to, you know, think a second time about choices I made. I, you know, I miss people like Godwood. I, you know, miss him intensely. He was a good friend. I miss Dennis Dale. Uh, I miss uh, Kyle. Heavy is the head that wears the earphones. <laughs> Let's have a look at the chat. Uh, Luke says, Luke Croft is essentially wanting you to risk your reputation so he can get more entertainment while he remains an anon. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. What, what's more important to me, my show or my life? And what's more important to me is my life right i i wrap this show around my life i don't wrap my life around this show 
Uh, Bell says, Luke is open source. He's not trapped by the religious views as his father seemed to be. He has no agenda. It's just like the big podcast of the same name. Uh, maybe Luke's dad had principles. It was not just a contrarian for contrarian's sake. This guy is psychoanalyzing my passive aggressiveness. Luke is the gadfly. That part is still there. Yeah. I hope Luke sheds life light on how Nerfed, an ERFED search, is on the main sites versus Yandex. Maybe not a concern troll. Wonder, does this call it love Dennis Prager? Wonder how many night letters Luke gets. Anonymous messages. Stop doing this or that. We never ask Luke about detractor activity. Yeah, when you do a show and you say controversial things and people take exception and people will try to hurt you. So it was a very good... I got to find that article. Hands, feet, uh, being an influencer. So talked about two types of influencers. So one does live streams and it <laughs> talks about how how anyone who, who does uh, live streams, right, they inevitably bear the brunt of, you know, their, their audience's disappointment or hostility or frustrations in life. And so, oh, face, I think it was face versus feet. So that was the, the face type of influencer, someone who do live streams. Man, I, I read it on Apple News and and I didn't save it and I've got to find it, but it was very profound. It said, uh, recommended if you want to be an influencer, make recorded videos, right? Don't, don't do live streams because your, your audience will always be disappointed and you know use you to um as their as their punching bag and i just cannot find the link to this analysis who was the guest that was uh pigger he is in israel not orthodox so i think identifies as a reformed jew luke cross says i'll follow 40 through the valley of the shadow of death Better one, 10 good viewers than 100 plebs. You should just be a boomacon spouting rage porn. Yeah, 40 would have thousands of viewers if you just told people what they wanted to hear. Maybe reality does not fit into the boomacon worldview. There are many facets to the COVID story. Don't put COVID in a box. I like Luke's counterpoints. 40 show is no longer a circus act. Let's bring on Wignats for entertainment. Yeah, half the Wignats turned out to be Spurgs and pedophiles. If Luke was not religious, if Luke was not tied down by the Orthodox Jewish community, this would be a bolder show. Have the freaks on because it's fun, regardless of 40's personal life. You still cover Richard Spencer. You don't have him on. Same with Millennial Woes. The show is great still. Kudos to Luke. Showing Tucker at the start is a nod to the mob. <laughs> Even JFG avoids most guests. Yeah. It's uh, it's challenging to and invigorating, but it is very challenging to have, have guests. Uh, Luke is no spring live stream. So every show I do, I send out invites to 10, 15 people. Luke Ford is Ford tough. Luke might need his pals at Temple. He lives in a demilitarized zone. Where is P 
Piggers show. He wants you to risk your reputation. Kyle destroys with facts and logic. Hail Jim Gerd show. The Jim Gerd show was absolutely amazing. You should have let Big Black Mama on. Yeah, that was a crazy time. So many people were crashing the show that uh, I, you know, blocked some people who I should have allowed on. Yeah, synagogues near me have gotten, you know, their, their members have gotten shot up. All right, this is this is serious. I watched both the Kino Casino and Luke Ford for different reasons. Both are good for their own reasons. I wonder if Dennis Dale has the pregnant negative energy saying frustration, let down, broadcast style like KMG. So I have never talked uh, directly to the best of my knowledge with millennial woes. I'm not, not a, definitely not opposed to it. Whoa. Let me play here. Dennis Prager on the indictment. And another country have signed a deal with China or with Saudi Arabia, I don't remember which, to pay in local currency and not in petrodollars. If, if the dollar ceases to be the world currency, uh, we are in for a, a, very, a very, very bad time. What? Uh, there is absolutely no evidence that the dollar is going to cease to be the world's currency. So you don't have to worry about it. I mean, come on, Russia and China, we're talking about marginalized losers, guys. What do marginalized losers do if they connect with other people? They connect with other marginalized losers. Both China and Russia have been marginalized from the world community. They have very few allies, right? They're, they're marginalized losers doing marginalized things, you know, engaging in, you know, marginalized diplomacy. And uh, I don't think uh, China and Russia are going to take over the world. They're marginalized losers, right? They're, they're like uh, high school dropouts, right? High school dropouts, generally speaking, are not going to change the world. Marginalized countries have marginalized currencies, right? Marginalized countries tend to be much less internally stable. They, they, marginalized countries are unable to connect with other people to form alliances. Like life is lived with others, right? The entire quality of your life, the beauty of your life, the strength in your life, right? If you get courage from your life, you get happiness and joy from your life. It comes from your connection with other people. Like China and Russia aren't able to connect. They're deformed. They're, they're just marginalized losers. They, they can't cut it. They can't play by the rules of the game, right? They don't make for good friendships and relationships. So, no, we don't have to worry about China and Russia taking over the world. We don't have to worry about China and Russia, you know, dominating the United States. It's like I hear from, oh, oh, Russia, they're so masculine. China, they're so masculine. And they're just going to take our big gay trans army and they're just going to ragdoll it. They're just going to run a train on our army. Well, Russia's not doing too well in Ukraine. Uh, China, when did China last win a big war? I mean, I know the Chinese Communist Party, you know, defeated its opposition to take over China. But, you know, when did China last win a big war? Gotta love Luke's message. Don't get too attached to your show host, folks. Protect yourself at all times. Yeah, time to notice things. Uh, put your own, you know, well-being first. You should think about your own best interests 90 to 95% of the time. If you can spend at least 5%, possibly 10% of your time thinking about others, then I, I, you are unselfish on a comparative basis. 
So, yeah, we got geopolitical wignats. Don't sweat them, bro. Okay. Welcome, caller. Elliot Blatt, what's going on? W welcome, Luke. Sorry. Hold on. Audio issues. I gotta, you I gotta, you sound great I gotta, to gotta, me, bro. I had to pause you on the, on the main. Yeah. On the YouTube. You always sound good to me, man. Oh, you're too kind, bro. You're too kind. It was good to hear from uh, Pigger. Uh, yeah, a long time. Yeah. You know, what? I think if you keep at it, bro, like slowly people will start to return and you trickle. We got to keep the momentum. So. We gotta, yeah, we, we got to build on this. You got to build on it. You're right. You gotta leverage this. Like, yeah. Leverage this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I wish I, I only, I, I only joined like halfway through. Uh, Figures commentary, but it was an interesting exchange. I, I, I thought you both had valid points, and um, uh, there's a you know you, you you walk this line between spectacle and testicle. Uh, sob <laughs> no sobriety. Oh yeah. <laughs> I think uh, yeah, the Wignet content was very special. It was a very unique moment in internet history, and. A lot of people want it back, but it comes at a price. And so you don't want to, I can understand not wanting to pay that price. Yeah. And the, the price has gone up like tenfold since 2018. So there was, there was a price to pay in 2018. And I have no idea of the price that I paid because it would have been in, you know, lost connections, lost, you know, opportunities that, that I wouldn't even know about. But the price has gone up, you know, 10 times since they started slaughtering people. Well, has there really been that much violence on the right? Well, I mean, you had the guy went into the supermarket in Buffalo, killed 10 plus people. You had a guy going into okay. a Walmart he, in El Paso, killing 25 okay. people. And you, you categorize, were those, but those are 4chan influenced. They're not Luke Ford influenced. <laughs> yeah, I certainly hope that no one influenced by this show has killed anyone. God no, but I think anybody that tunes into this show is open to dialogue, right? I would hope so. But we, you can't screen. Like you have no idea of how unstable many people are, and so they're going to be more like unstable, marginalized people are going to be much more likely to tune into a show that uh, deals with you know marginalized people and marginalized concerns. So you, you're already dealing with a with an unstable community of people, and you just you don't know how what is said is going to come across to someone who's already unstable. But all right, here's the question. Do you think dialogue, let's say you're dialing with, dialoguing with a marginalized person. Does your conversation lead them to greater extremism or does it temper their extremism and lead them towards, you know, towards the center, towards reason? I would say it's not clear. Like, I wish I could just be so sure as Pigger that it's overwhelmingly a force for good. I, I'm not sure how clear it is. I, I wish, I hope that, that Pigger is right. Mm. I think I agree with Pigger. I think you're right. I think dialogue is the way to go. I think I think it's temporizing. I think if anytime you force someone to engage their intellect, you, um, I think you're doing them a service. I think you're bringing them, I think you're bringing them closer to reality. But what, but what happened to Godwood? Like he blew up his life. You know, I don't want to go into many yeah, personal details, but, but it damaged his life. And then that damaged the lives of everyone who cared about him. 
that makes me really sad it's very painful to me i did everything i could that i'm aware of to warn him about the path he was going on that it was going to lead in a very bad direction but if he'd never done any shows with me that would would not have happened to him i don't think you can take responsibility for that i i don't but it still it, it does have an effect on me like he didn't blow up anyone else's him. lives he blew up his own life no he right? blew everyone who cared about him was affected well indirectly he blew up other people's lives and doesn't i think you're being excessively scrupulous if that's a if that's a possibility I, I I wouldn't. The seeds were there, right? Yeah. Like yeah. you 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 might have watered them a little bit, maybe not. But if the seeds weren't there, your conversations would have had no impact. The, problem, the seeds Correct. were there. Correct. Right? One one hundred percent agree. Okay. So. So on the converse, do you, I mean, I mean, if you're going to take blame for that situation, I'm, I'm not taking blame, but I am taking something. I not blame. There's, there's got to be a, a better word. I, I feel bad that this happened, and I want to minimize the chances that this happens to others. You are a proximate cause, not an actual cause. Yeah, so, like, so I, like I don't definitely. If a cat runs blame. across the street and then someone swerves to avoid the cat. Yeah, and then plows into a shopping center. Who's it? Is the cat at fault or is the driver at fault? You know, it's 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 a murky. The moral, the moral calculus is difficult. Yeah, there are more important things than the success of this show, such as like the well-being of people. <laughs> All right. Okay, but so on the converse, though, let's say there's twenty, thirty, forty people you don't even know their names who, through listening to these conversations, maybe sort of transform their outlook uh, yeah and i absolutely believe that that has happened you know i occasionally run into someone on the street and they they mentioned that the show's had a you know a positive effect on them so i i you know i agree with that it's just it's there's a calculus here so i don't come down on one side or the other i don't come down on the side clearly wrong to talk to wig, wig nats or to discuss you know dangerous books i i don't agree with that and i also i'm skeptical of the claim uh you know bring on the wig nuts and you know the old 2018 show it's uh it's you know clearly you know a positive force in the world uh yeah i i would consider myself definitely in that camp but however i'm not you i don't have to pay i don't have to suffer the repercussions yeah. and um so i i wouldn't you know i wouldn't take that stance because people have to you know Ultimately, it's your show, and people should be very careful about giving advice to other people. If they want to show wignets, they can create their own show and attract, attract some wignets. But there's like been it, a lot of like there's been a lot of secondary careers launched through your show. That, you know, yeah, all these other sort of micro streams that have propped up, and you know, the, your influence is you know. It's disproportionate to my numbers yeah disproportionate to my numbers of viewers it's like yeah yeah if you for, can't measure it in your current audience right? yeah for so every like, viewer there seems to be you know uh you know a, a, another micro micro streamer yeah <laughs> but but like that you know that edgy stuff that that did cost me in, in ways and 
you know, I, I'm willing well, to, to pay that price. So, uh, uh, I'll just say, yeah, opportunities that would include prestige. Yeah. Okay. So there's prestige and income. You didn't reserve income. You didn't get things like that. Yeah, right. and right. and who knows, like how many women you know would not date me because of those shows. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Maybe that's completely uh, inconsequential. I mean, how many women would even listen to that show in the first place? How would they know that you? Had no, that you wouldn't need to listen. They just need to hear. Like, you just you know, gossip by and hey, you don't want to have anything to do with him. He blah blah blah. <laughs> I mean that that happens a he lot. Hosted, like, he hosted wig naps and then yeah yeah, just... yeah no no a friend of mine. Uh, guy is now you know good friend of mine, but uh, before I ever knew him, like a decade, two decades ago, you know he was talking to a woman who was thinking of dating me, and he said, "Oh, you should really Google him first. I mean, you should really you know think uh, think a second or a third time about doing that." Well, I think there's other aspects of your resume that would be a, bit, a little bit more uh, thought provoking than the <laughs> Yeah, but it, it's like a one-two combo. It's like, oh, you know, there are a lot of people who can handle, oh, yeah, you used to write on the porn industry. But then if you combine that with the, the Wignat stuff, it's like it's the, you know, it's like the left hook is the porn stuff, but then the, the right, you know, uppercut is the one that, you know, knocks them out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you're definitely attracted to taboos, you know? Yes. You, you, and... With taboos, taboos are taboos for a reason, you know, because there's a lot of potential destabilization there. If somebody's willing to go there, the taboo is almost sort of transferred onto you. And Yes. Um, I carry with me, like, just like every time you have sex with someone, you carry with, you know, them with you as you go through life in, in some kind of spiritual perspective. You know, anyone I've had my, on my show, in a sense, I carry them, I schlep them with me through life. Yeah, yogis say that anyone that you have sex with, you, ba you basically have a spiritual connection with them for 12 years. Okay. So you're sort of psychically enmeshed in them. It takes 12 years for that those connections to dissolve so you have to choose carefully but yeah live streaming and, who knows they, they never yeah. they never spoke about live streaming it's uh it's a new phenomenon but we are acquainted with you know enough people who have uh, damaged their lives by live streaming yes yeah, well, by by conducting a live stream, not necessarily. Are you talking yeah. about like Ralph and those types of people? Yeah, just you know, people who who conducted live streams and it uh, really came back to bite them. Yeah, for some reason, I've always had a fear of. I mean, I really enjoy live streams. And I love listening to them. I like calling in, but I don't think I could ever like cross that bridge of actually hosting my own. Because for the reasons you think, because the blowback, you know, like it's really yeah. easy to run afoul of, uh, you know, what, uh, you can really, but yeah, I would definitely blow up opportunities. And I, I actually am terrorized that people would actually find this show and it would sort of be, make its way back to people who know me. Because I don't think people, anyone that knows me would be able to uh, take these, these types of ideas on board and not freak out. Yeah. And, Let's also be honest. Live streaming seems to make most people who conduct 
live streams or even participate in live streams, it does seem to make them worse. They become more self-aggrandizing. They become, uh, they, they, they disclose all sorts of things that they shouldn't disclose. They, they do things, say things spontaneously that uh, are not in their best interest. Live streaming for most people who do it on controversial issues is a self-destructive act. You might be right about that. Um, so you don't think anyone's been enhanced by uh, No, I didn't say that. I said most people. Most people okay. who conduct live streams on controversial issues, it seems to be a self it seems to have turned out to be self-destructive. There are plenty of people. I feel like this has enhanced my life. Like I feel like I'm a happy guy. I come here every day. I'm happy to, you know, do a show. I feel like it's enhanced my life. I think there are other people for whom it's probably enhanced their life. But I was in the porn industry and most people who participated in the porn industry, it seemed to me to detract from the quality of their life. And it seemed to hack away at their friendships and their family connections. So too, in the live streaming industry, it seems to consistently alienate people from their families, from their extended families, from their friends, from their community, from employers, from their educational institutions. There's a vast swath of destruction. Okay, but all right, here's the challenge. Does live streaming or participating in live streaming bring you closer to reality or further from reality? So if if it brings you closer to reality and other people that you're with and acquainted with are living further from reality, it could theoretically sever some bonds and maybe those bonds are best severed. So just to say that it separates you from people is not necessarily a criteria for its perniciousness. That's a good point. I would say that uh, to the extent that I'm aware, live streaming seems to far more separate people from reality than bring them closer to reality because almost everyone who live streams develops an exaggerated sense of their own importance and they become captured by their audience. That, that seems to happen to almost everyone. So it seems to me to overwhelmingly separate people from reality which makes them less effective at life and less less happy that's just my perception well i'll speak for myself um i think my participation in live streams and listening to live streams and, and so forth has made i think it's brought me close to reality i think it's made me it's punctured some bubbles of illusion that i've been living in and i I think I think I'm the better for it. I think that I would there were certain illusions I was carrying around that were leading me to make poor choices. Like in software, like you can't fix a bug until you understand the bug, right? You have to get to you may think something's going wrong for a particular reason, but until you know what's actually going wrong, you can't take the right corrective steps and so and i think live streaming and, and frank conversations even if they're anonymous bring people closer to an accurate perception of reality uh that's the people who consume them what about the people who make them 
I don't know. I'm not one of them. <laughs> well, you've seen you've seen the effect of the e personality on people. So, the e personality means that people tend to develop an exaggerated sense of their own importance when they go online and share their opinions. People tend to behave spontaneously when they would be much better off for their own welfare acting in, in a considered manner. They tend to share dark things that they would not normally share in face-to-face -face interactions. Mm. And, you know, they tend to get into habits of saying, uh, saying things that uh, don't normally enhance one's ability to navigate reality. Uh, what, 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 but that's my, my perception. What, what do you see? How do you see people being changed by hosting live streams? I, by hosting, mm -hmm. I, I think there, A, I think it takes a certain amount of courage to host a live stream. B, it throws you, if you're willing to listen to other people and have other people on and confront them and be confronted by them, there's potentially, if you're, if you're doing it in the right spirit, you know, you, the challenge can bring you, can make you better, right? You can learn some new things. You can re recalculate your positions. You can, uh, you know, consider things you haven't considered. So, uh, but I do agree broadly, especially among younger people, it, it does seem to act like a drug of some sort because it does feed some sort of narcissism and it feeds uh, some solipsism and some self, you know, all patient pension. So maybe you need to be like 32 before you can live stream. You need to get a license. What about that guy who was consistently drunk? Um, I think he did. He do shows with con ops, and he would have a Nazi flag in the background. Yeah. Yes, I know you're disability. talking about. Uh, do you think his life was enhanced by him going on live streams, hosting live streams, participating? That's. I, I, the easy answer would be no, but I don't think that's actually the case. I think anybody involved in alcoholism, alcoholism to that extent has a lot of problems, right? And so um, I mean, I know alcoholics that don't live stream and don't really participate in live streams, and they have a lot of problems similar to this person you're talking about, and live streaming doesn't factor at all so this person we're talking about he i don't know a i don't know what's going on with him now but b it's a fair question um it can actually go either way as far as i'm concerned he got to meet and talk to people that were i think far more perceptive and intelligent than he was and I thought he got forced to engage with ideas that he never would have had he not done live stream. And uh, Kyle, remember Kyle? Do you think his his life was enhanced by live streaming, or do you think it detracted? Don't know. I don't know because I don't know. I, I don't know anything about his biography. I don't know if he's gained or lost. Um, I thought he met with some challenges. He was challenged and sometimes fairly, sometimes unfairly. Uh, I think it's probably um, been a positive problem. I think about it. 
And uh, Duvid, do you think Duvid's life has been enhanced or diminished by live streaming? I think it's been enhanced. I think he has a bunch of online relationships with people who know about him, right? Absent live streaming, nobody would know who he is, right? And he'd have nobody to engage with. And now he's got seemingly hundreds of people or at least tens of people he can engage with spread out across the world and enjoy his commentary and like to engage with them. So I think it's probably possible. So let's say I'm thinking of inviting someone on a show, but I have uh, doubts about whether or not it's in their best interest. Should I just leave it entirely up to them? Or how much should I act in in judging other people's best interests and, and thereby not not inviting them on the show and you know detracting from the quality of the show and you know possibly detracting from opportunities for them it's a pretty uh, subtle abstract case i think are people inviting themselves on and you're refusing or you're just refraining yeah yeah most people them? who want to come on the show i i see it as as bad oh, they want to debate you right they want to debate the liberty and all that stuff they want to get out or anything like that there are a lot of people in the orbit of the show who would like to participate much more in the show and i see it as being bad for them uh... there's a word for that you know where where you're you know you're 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 making judgments and uh, you know, I'm acting like a parent, essentially, you know, d mm -hmm. denying people. Um, I guess I need to know more details. I tend to think. So you think they're being on the show, you would be sort of pouring gasoline on a smoldering fire. And yeah. That, um... I think there's a good chance they'll self-destruct and damage their life if they come on the show. It would be well, I think they're going to do it anyway. Yeah. Someone's going to self-destruct by coming in the show. I, I think there's, a, I think, I, I think the fuse is lit, right? The seeds are there, yeah, yeah. And right? So whether you water them or someone else waters them, it doesn't really matter. So I don't think you can actually, I don't think moral culpability extends quite that far. Uh, but, patern paternalism, that's the word I was looking for. Go ahead. Paternalism, yeah, that sounds right. I don't know. I think maybe you're possibly overthinking it, but maybe you're not. I um, I could honestly see both cases. Obviously, as an audience member, I'd like I'd like to see it, but I don't have to uh, deal with repercussions. It's an interesting mm -hmm. point. I hadn't thought about it, but uh, so hmm. I wish I'd heard the first part of Pigger's conversation, so I don't know if he covered what I covered, but oh, this idea he... about powerfulness, like being powerful and sort of resigning and treating the news as theater or as entertainment, because I was thinking that exact same thing, that I'm basically treating Trump's indictment as theater. I'm not engaging with it emotionally at all. I, I, I think it's an interesting plot twist, um, and perhaps that's an unhealthy attitude. Uh, what's your attitude? What should I say when what I, I think, what I believe is at odds with my audience? Should I simply avoid saying the things that I will alienate my audience 
because that would show consideration and respect and appreciation for my audience by keeping quiet on the things that would alienate them? Or do you think I should put what I believe to be true in, in you know, matters of public policy and public life? Do you think I should always just lead with what I believe to be true and important? Or should I take more care and consideration and concern for my audience by not speaking out in areas that would alienate them? Well, here's where I think I agree with with Pigger. He seems to have picked up on, which I think is true. I think you sort of seem to go out of your way a little bit to antagonize your audience because you think it's good conversation. Yeah, probably. I think you're right. <laughs> right? So yeah. it's not like this is the most important, like one's view of COVID is the most important yeah. thing right now and you need to talk about it. Yeah. But you talk about it because you know it's triggering. So yeah. you've taken your triggering instincts and so you're sort of lashing out back at the wignet yes, yes. confounded your life. Yes. So <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I think I think everyone's ready to let go of COVID. Um But I'm talking the general philosophical issue. Forget forget COVID. Mm. What should be what should be my approach? Should I put what I believe to be true and important first, or should I put care and concern and respect for my audience first because i definitely put you what have i think to, no first. you have to go with what you think is interesting in in the moment and it gives you energy so yeah. if talking about covid gives you energy you have to go with that yeah if talking about your only reason for talking about covid is to trigger your audience that's probably a bad bad choice right there's no point in me saying saying things that i don't believe to be true Right. Yeah. And I wouldn't, you know, I don't think, I don't think anybody wants you to do that. Yeah. Yeah. What does yeah. respect and care and concern for your audience? What, what, what are, what are some ways that you would recommend thinking about that? Because I really don't care about my audience in the sense of wanting to, you know, hold, you know, hold back on anything. Like if I, 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 Maybe I do want to provoke them. I don't know. Um, the proper care and feeding of an audience, bro. I I don't know. At certain points, you think you have to let the numbers be your guide. I mean, are you having fun now, or are you having more fun later? Back in two thousand eighteen, I had more fun in twenty eighteen. Okay. This is much but, harder. This is much more difficult. It's much less fun. And there's much less audience. Much less audience, much less money, much more yeah. difficult, much less fun. So you seem to, I don't know, why is why is this, you have this, you want to die in this particular cross of moral uh, uh, correctness, moral um, excellence. So Yes, I'm, I'm dying want, on want a to cross be, is this of your, my audience. Is this, is this your Christianity reasserting itself? So, um, I don't know. I think I think you're probably erring on the side of overcaution. Overcaution in what direction? Um, but I, I think there's a strata. There's a certain segment of audience that you could probably safely invite back on. Um, oh, right, right. That. The Wignats, like Wignats. Norman, Norman Hobbs, you know, upstanding gentleman in all respects. 
Yeah, he would certainly. Um, great guy. Great Sterling guy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Sterling American. Like a real yeah. mensch. Yeah. Um, well, if those people were, if you know, it, it would be strange if those people were to come back, and then you'd have sort of like a Ronnie Goldman the next day, right? So there's almost no overlap between the audiences there that would appreciate those two, but. Um, hmm. I'm sort of running out of gas, Luke. I, okay, Brian. I, I, last thing. Okay, I, 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 yeah, I'll have to think some more. All right, to be continued. Yes, love is all, all right. around us, Brian. All right, love okay. is love too. Love is love. <laughs> Take care, Brian. All right, come on, Mary. Uh, Biden, the despicable, truly a bad human being and his bad party have done to the United States is rendered us no longer feared by the bad people of Earth. Maybe when really bad stuff starts happening. Really? Is, is Joe Biden really a, a despicable human being? Uh, that seems, seems a little strong to me. I can't really get that exercised about Joe Biden. In fact, compared to any any of the Democratic candidates for president in 2020, any of the, the ones who could win, it seemed like he was the best. The idiotic notion that human nature is basically good will finally be buried in this country. The naivete of Americans about human nature is part of the problem. See, evil doesn't surprise me. It doesn't surprise any religious person because there's far more wisdom in religion than in secularism. There is no wisdom in secularism. Is there wisdom at Yale? their wisdom at Berkeley. Most secular institutions of our society are the stupidest and meanest and cruelest. 1-8-Prager-776 is the number. This is a very, a very important day in American history. This has nothing to do with a crime. If there was a crime, it is of such minuscule nature that financially it is equivalent to jaywalking. And if they could have indicted him on jaywalking, they would have indicted him on jaywalking. Alvin Bragg hates this country and hates everything that you hold to be beautiful and immeasurably important. How America has produced so many awful human beings and so many fools who vote for the party of Alvin Bragg is the dominant question of our time. Yes. The, that people think with their emotions is so obvious. I hate Trump, therefore I don't give a damn about justice. I don't give a damn about how much the Democrats will hurt the country. My hatred of Trump trumps all. God, a lot of people never grow up. Yeah, I just don't think that's useful analysis. This bad man hates his country. Uh, how about this is a man who not just sees the world differently, but experiences the world differently and has, you know, a different perspective on right and wrong. Paul, this is like listening to Radio Rwanda. When will, when will Prager command us to cut the tall trees? And yeah, I think it's absolutely absurd to say that there's no wisdom in secularism, right? I think there's plenty of wisdom coming from atheists and from secularists and and from secularism and atheism. There is wisdom to be gleaned there. It helps sometimes to take a perspective of, you know, what would be a secular approach to this or what would be an atheist approach to this, like having different perspectives on life, you know, I think is helpful. Uh, most most uh, secular people, most atheist Americans, I would, 
I would wager, have far higher IQs than your average American and commit far fewer crimes than your average American. So the most church-going group in the United States possibly commits the, the highest rate of crime. So, I, I, yeah, I think religion has the ability to connect you to others and connect you to a transcendent source of morality. And so for some people, religion makes them better. For other people, religion makes them worse. Uh, some people become better when they reduce or cease being religious. Other people become worse. Uh, Bell, great first segment on the Ford Prager split. 40 went 1776. Thanks for himself. National radio show corrupted Dennis. Well, he has to work within a particular medium that depends upon reinforcing every day to your audience that they are victims and you are the vehicle by which they can you know, overcome their victimizers. The childishness of that view is breathtaking. Alan Dershowitz, professor emeritus, Harvard Law School, lifelong Democrat and liberal. In all my 60 years of criminal defense litigating and teaching, I have never heard of a case based on such a ridiculous stretching of the law than the reported indictment of Donald Trump. Brand and I think that may be absolutely correct. Right? That, that may be true. In fact, this is, this is what I think. Right? right now, without having seen the indictment, without having read the indictment, all right, this, what Alan Dershowitz is just talking about, that is my opinion. But I guess I don't place a whole lot of stock in my opinion, and I just don't think it's helpful to view your, your political opponents or your opponents in life as, you know, just bad people trying to destroy the country. Egg has disgraced a once proud office. Disgracing once proud institutions is exactly what the left does. The American Medical Association is a disgrace. Just another example. To state the obvious, while immoral, it is not illegal to pay hush money. Exactly. That's all it was. So to turn this relatively benign payment into a state felony, the district attorney must perform a series of legal contortions. I'll explain that in a moment. Alan Dershowitz is a rare man. Today is the last day of March and the last day of fundraising month for PragerU. If the unprecedented indictment of a former president does not motivate you to help us i don't know what will to be honest we do fight we change young so i like prager you videos i like dennis prager i am grateful for the role that dennis prager played in my life i am humbled and grateful for the kindness that dennis prager showed me i am humbled and grateful for the kindness dennis prager showed me during the most desperate lonely difficult challenging isolated periods of my life All right that's that's where I'm I'm coming from but I, I think the greatest way I can repay Dennis Prager for his kindness to me is to just try to say the truth as as clearly and objectively as I, I perceive it I think that's you know the greatest way to repay his kindness so one th I like Prager you videos one thing I noticed though about Prager you videos is that they'd get hundreds of thousands of views one day and hundreds of thousands of views the next day, then they'd get virtually no views the next day and no views the day after that. So all these inflated, you know, billions of views that Prager talks about, they are from advertising. So they are from, you know, running these videos through various forms of social media in autoplay format. So almost all PragerU videos are bought, right? I could... I could get a million views. I could buy a million views for a video. So 
from the research I did, it looked to me like about 95% of PragerU videos are bought rather than being organic. And it's, it's not honest what he's saying and how he describes PragerU. People's minds, probably more than any other institution on earth, and there are many great institutions. Right, he says more than any other institution on earth, PragerU is changing young people's minds. I'm skeptical, particularly when I saw just looking at the statistics. You know, it was very clear that almost all PragerU views, meaning north of 90%, were bought. Right, I could buy views. Right, I could, I could have, you know, advertising that would autoplay my videos when people were scrolling through social media, and I could gain millions and millions of views. Right, but that's not organic, and it just seems hyperbolic and out of touch with reality what Dennis is saying here. Thank God we're not the only one but that's our job influence young people we have a billion views a year more than a billion views a year most of them are under 35 years of age it's all free the reason we keep it free and we're a non-profit at PragerU okay yeah billions of views a year and if you want to be honest you'd say 95% of those are bought Right, they have extensive marketing of PragerU videos that buys the views. And you would see it on the view count for videos. They'd get 400,000 views one day, 410,000 views the next day. And statistically, it'd be virtually zero views the day after that. So how do you promote videos? How do you have videos that get 400,000 one day, you know, approximately 400,000 the next day, and then virtually zero on the days after that? Right, that's because the first two days, those views were all bought. so that anybody can watch it because if there were a charge mostly people who agree with us would be paying but we touch people who will watch something for free the more you give us the more we can produce and the more we can publicize what we produce which is as important as producing it moreover guys this show touches more young people's lives than any other institution on earth right your host has touched more young lives than any other institution on, uh, on earth. You should see how I rate with 14-year-old girls in Cincinnati. Right? This show is just changing millions of lives. Right? This show is helping people to keep Shabbos, helping people to put on tefillin every day, helping people to keep kosher, right? bringing people back to Hashem, bringing people back to God. This show is helping people to get sober. Right, this show is helping people to get married and to have children. Right, this show is holding communities together. This show is rebuilding lives more than any other institution on earth. This show is doing it. And now here's the opportunity for you to contribute. Anything you give today, not tomorrow, today, will be tripled. Please go to PragerU.com. PragerU.com or 833-PragerU. Alan Dershowitz, I continue. It is not illegal to pay hush money. To turn this relatively benign payment into a state felony, the district attorney must perform a series of legal contortions. First, he must prove that the payments were fraudulently described in business records. Generally, one wouldn't be expected to dutifully document hush money paid to a porn star to remain silent about an adulterous affair, as the whole point of the payoff is to keep it hush-hush. But Bragg wants to make it criminal. In any event, even if the DA convinces a jury that Trump falsified business records, the worst-case scenario is that this crime is a minor misdemeanor. 
This is the despicable human being, Bragg, who has made horrible acts of violence into misdemeanors, and he's making this misdemeanor into a felony. Those who are kind to the cruel will be cruel to the kind. Ancient Jewish aphorism. At trial, if the defense raises a reasonable doubt that Trump inaccurately recorded the alleged hush payment to prevent damaging embarrassment to his wife, his family, his business ventures, or for any other reason than his campaign, then the charges will not stick. Well, of course, isn't that obvious? Why would any man pay a hush payment? Just to protect the campaign? Otherwise, he doesn't care? The case rises and falls on credibility. Unfortunately for Bragg, his key witness, former Trump lawyer and so-called fixer Michael Cohen, doesn't have much credibility. If the Manhattan DA had any brains, he will tell Cohen to stay home. After all, he's a convicted liar. Last week, Cohen's former legal advisor, Robert Costello, testified before the grand jury. After he left the court, he told the media that he informed the jurors that Cohen, quote, couldn't tell the truth if you put a gun to his head, unquote. This is his former lawyer. <laughs> Cohen also pled guilty to concealing more than $4 million in personal income from the IRS and lying to a bank to secure a home loan. If this type of- Come on, guys, the Democrats are satanic pedos, man. I am engaged on your behalf. You're being victimized by these satanic pedos. I am on a, a jihad. You know, I am fighting the satanic pedos. And if you put satanic pedo into, into the... Oh, God. It's just a little much. If a prosecution with the same facts and law were directed against an ordinary citizen, it would have virtually no chance of succeeding. But because the target is Trump... And the location is the very blue city of New York. The likelihood of an indictment and conviction is better than even. Even so, it would likely be reversed on appeal. In fact, Americans may be voting for president in 2024 as a court considers overturning. But Bragg probably doesn't care what an appellate court would do in two years. He's looking for his 15 minutes of fame now and for the political benefits that will result from a politically popular get Trump prosecution in heavily. See, unlike Dennis Prager, is not looking for fame, for status, for prestige, to you know, hold on to a nationally syndicated talk show host by telling his, his listeners every day that they are you know, victims. But he is a vehicle, and Prager University is the vehicle for you know, overcoming the satanic democratic pedos. So yes, use program promo code Democrats the satanic pedos and get 50% off for the lessons of the Holocaust. And you know what the lessons of the Holocaust are? They just reinforce whatever it is that I currently believe. Democratic New York City. That's correct. That's what he's looking for. When a Prager 776. Just when you thought it couldn't get any better, Mike Lindell with MyPillow is launching the MyPillow 2.0. When Mike invented... Whoa! Whoa! MyPillow 2.0, guys! Just put in Democrats the Satanic Pedos for 50% off for Mike Lindell's Pillow 2.0. Uh, Bell's got a an astute observation here. Trump's legal issues are not a huge hit. All right? All right? They, they don't draw in, you know, a huge number of hits in the channels I see. No, no... Huge views, not even for sticks and hammer. Yeah, and I'm I'm surprised, but the low level of uh, protests out there on behalf of Donald Trump. You know, you'd think people would be pouring into the streets. The Tutsis are corrupting our nation, right? We are being commanded to to hack down the the tall trees. 
<laughs> How long before he calls the Democrats subhumans telling us that we need to cleanse the nation? Right? It's not far. It's not, it's not exactly a long way from that kind of rhetoric, is it? my pillow and had everything you could ever want in a pillow. Now, nearly 20 years later, Beautiful. you discovered a new technology. Promo code Prager or call 800 761 6302 to get your MyPillow 2.0. Democrats. Final comment. Sentence of Alan Dershowitz. Bragg doesn't care what an appellate court would do in two years. He's looking for his 15 minutes of fame now and for the political benefits that will result from a politically popular get Trump prosecution in heavily Democratic New York City. Trump may also benefit nationally from the backlash of voters who see this as a political prosecution, which it is. The only real harm that will come from this case is the damage it will do to the country as our society spirals deeper and deeper into division and distrust. No matter the outcome of Bragg's case, we all lose. That's not true. The left wins. We don't all lose. That is not true. I disagree with Alan Dershowitz's last statement, but he's a courageous man, one of the only liberals with courage. You know when I had the most fun doing this show? was when I was doing shows with Ricardo. So Ricardo has entered the room, guys, and Ricardo says, only a fool would stop listening to Dennis. I had such a good time doing shows with Ricardo. We would, like, do show prep. I mean, it, it was just, like, a joy. I don't know why. We're just... At that time, at that place, you know, we were just on the, the same wavelength, right? That was that was before Ricardo really got to know me, right? The, the, those were innocent days, man. This is back in, like, I think May of 2018. And we just saw this beautiful future just stretching out before us. I mean, we were building something. It was so exciting. It was just so much fun, so much laughter. Like, we were just naive. We just thought, ah, oh, there's going to be plenty. There's going to be plenty. Just just great times ahead. We're going to climb every mountain. We're going to ford every stream. We're going to take on the satanic Democrat pedos. Uh, we're going to have, you know, the craziest, most entertaining, compelling shows possible. And I had so much fun. And we just saw this beautiful future just lying out before us. The future was like this big, fat, ripe peach that was just hanging there. And we could just just detach it from, from the tree. And we could just bite into the bright, you know, juicy peach. Just eat it right off the tree. That was what the future looked like for us. That's what the future tasted like for us. That's what the future felt like for us. We just tasted fresh, fresh, ripe peach, fresh off the, the vine, just filled with juice and goodness and sweetness. And that's what we thought we had in store for us. We were Worski and JF, but better. Ah, oh, man. We, that was so much bloody fun. My God. I mean, I would get up in the morning and, like, I'd look forward to, you know, just uh, exchanging a few DMs with Ricardo. We would, like, laugh about the show last night. We were going to, you know, bring on, you know, new guests that night. We had topics. We were going to talk about fatherhood. We were going to talk about marriage. We're going to talk about community. We're going to talk about work and God and religion and church and state and Jews and Christians. My God, it was, what did, what did it last? I think it lasted two weeks, but two of the happiest weeks of my life. I mean, life is so much better when you can do it with other people. Like doing a solo show is like one, one tenth of the fun and the joy and the pleasure and the laughter that, that comes from doing a show collaboratively. My God. I asked Jordan Peterson at a public forum, Prager, Prager U Gala, actually, 
last year, do we ever really know somebody until they're tested? And he immediately said no. Well, guess what? We don't know people because usually we only see people in a narrow segment of our lives. Like, I only know Ricardo via doing this show. I've never met Ricardo. I've never worked with Ricardo. I've, you know, never interacted with Ricardo's, you know, friends and family. Like, I only know a narrow sliver of Ricardo. So, no, we don't know people. We interact with people usually just in narrow slivers. And then we take you know, whatever deductions we make about people from that narrow sliver of life and say, oh, this sums up who they are. Like if Ricardo knew, you know, how cringe I, I, I have been in other areas of my life or you know, how dishonest I've been or how sleazy I've been or how pathetic I've been and how, you know, wimpy I've been. Like he, he only got to know me, you know, in a very narrow segment of my life. I only got to know him in a very narrow segment of life. So people are always far more complicated than we can possibly comprehend. So it's not like, oh, if we know, if we know someone under, you know, great stress, then we really know him. People are different in every situation. You never step into the same stream twice. Why? Because the stream is different and you are different. So every day, I'm different. Every day, you know, Ricardo's different. He's had different life experiences. I've had different life experiences. People are far more complicated than we want to think about because it's just too tiring to think about the many dimensions to people. We don't want to think about you now a friend who might be cheating in business or, you know, our friend who might be, you know, cheating on his wife or, you know, our friend who might be, you know, engaging in felonious activity. You know, we just want to think about that narrow segment of life in which we interact with our friend and we like our friend. We don't want to get all complicated. Yeah, there, there was one time I remember sitting in a car with a, with a woman, 1994, a Jewish woman just come out of a Jewish event. And I, I, was st I think I started crying because I was in like desperate circumstances and she didn't want to sleep with me. And I was, I was sleeping with a lot of women in 1994 and I was using it to try to staunch my panic uh, and my fear and my confusion and, you know, the difficulties in my life. Oh. Well, this is a test. If you go along with men give birth, if you are cowed by the nihilistic transgender movement, if you keep sending your kids to schools that aim to, to subvert your child's values and, and mental health. The last one is a tough one. You're not being tested there. It's not like there's one test and then you know someone, right? Someone, I may pass one test and I might be courageous. I might pass another test. I might be honest. Well, guess what? There are tests out there where I would prove myself cowardly, uh, dishonest, unreliable, you know, every bad thing that you can imagine. There are tests out there that I would fail. So it's not like, oh, someone passes a test under stress and then you really know how they, you know, how they are. You know, you may have Joe Montana directs a, a game-winning last-minute last drive in a Super Bowl but that doesn't necessarily tell you much about what he'd be like as a business partner. Uh, 40, how many women have you slept with? About 40, and probably 25 of them were in 1994. But you, you are taking a risk with your precious, precious child that can only be defended by your assurance, your certitude, that you have given your child such a strong values basis that they will not be perverted by, morally perverted by the school that they attend, 
or you simply cannot possibly afford to homeschool your child, or you, can, you cannot possibly find a school that doesn't do this, which is very possible. There are many places where there probably are almost no schools that are not so. There are plenty of public schools without drag queen story hours. I mean, overall, America's public school education gets pretty much the top results when you look at educational results by race. So Africans in America do better than Africans pretty much anywhere else on Earth. Uh, European Americans do pretty much better in educational testing than other European Americans. Asian Americans do better. Our public education system overall does a pretty good job. Yeah, there there are problems. So th there are many advantages to raising your children within a shtetl. All right, send them to a private school. You know, right or homeschool them. There are advantages to that, but th there are plenty of great things about uh, uh, public schools. In addition to significant problems, the tone from Prager is the most disturbing. Says the chat, it's like he's about to declare a jihad. Well, I think this is just the, the quintessential tone you have to adopt if you want to make a living as a right wing pundit. I don't listen to many left-wing pundits, so... Subversive. I spoke yesterday to a Catholic girl, 20 years old, at college, a pre-med student, a PragerU Force member. You might have heard it, but it was very moving. What a mature and in every way attractive young woman. And she's at a Catholic college in Buffalo, New York. And I asked her my question that I ask almost every young woman I meet whether serving me in a restaurant or online with me at the airport or seated next to me, poor thing, on a flight. But actually, I, I don't continue the conversation much. I just like to ask them this question. If you could be guaranteed either a great marriage or a great career, which guarantee would you take, even knowing that you could have the other? It's just not guaranteed. So I asked her, and of course she said, "Good, great marriage. I said, what percentage of the students at your Catholic college, of the girls there, would answer great marriage? Without hesitating, she said five. These kids are in. Uh, what people declare in regard to questions like that is interesting, but it doesn't really determine anything, right? People don't really know their own values much of the time, and it will depend on circumstance, right? Depend on where you are in life. So Americans do seem to get a lot more meaning in life out of work than other people. It's uh, Derek Thompson wrote about this in The Atlantic. I should dig out that article. In for an unhappy future if they don't change their minds. Part of the anger of so many young women is that they have been dealt this lie that they don't need a man, they don't need a family. They need a dog and a career. And, and then they have a career. And by golly, it doesn't make almost any of them all that happy. Wow, you will do what? That will be a great substitute for a husband and, and family. Tell me what career. Hello, my friends. I'm Dennis Prager. In keeping with that theme that you don't know you and you don't know anyone else until they're tested, this is a time of testing. It's as simple as that. If you do not speak out against the arresting of a former president of the United States for the first time in our history over crap, if it were... You should be speaking out over politics in general. Most people are not going to enhance their lives, become happier, more effective, be a positive influence in the world, speaking out on political issues. This is, you haven't even seen the indictment, this idea that, oh, you're crap, you're nothing if you don't speak out against Trump's indictment before we even have the possibility of, of seeing the indictment. 
is just absurd. Or at this state have found something else. There is virtually nobody listening to this show at this time who could not be indicted for something. There's a famous phrase among prosecutors, a grand jury could indict a ham sandwich. It's a very famous phrase. All, all you need to do is get a, a sympathetic jury. There is no defense. There's only prosecution. And make the case. And they're told, look, indictment doesn't mean that the person is guilty. It only means that they should go to trial. Oh, okay, then I'll indict him. This is the same man who has announced that he wants fewer and fewer violent criminals in prison. So he reduces their felonies to misdemeanors and makes Donald Trump's misdemeanor into a felony. I don't know how life produces so many bad human beings like the Alvin Braggs. I don't know. But it does. Well, I guess I do know to a certain extent because human nature is not a particularly courageous or good area. For all we know, Alvin Bragg does all sorts of wonderful things. I have no idea if he's a good person or a bad person. Just because, let's say, he made a mistake with this indictment, that doesn't mean he's a good or a bad person. Like, he could, you know, volunteer with the homeless, or he could be a good son. People are complicated. This idea, oh, you know, you make one, you know, public decision that's wrong, therefore you're a bad person, is absurd. It's the toughest thing. I've said this all of my life. I don't get tired of saying it, interestingly, but I have said it all of my life. The most important question society can ask is, how do you make good people? We don't ask that. The vast majority of parents ask how can they make good students, not good people, or good athletes, or whatever the good will follow, but it isn't person. I, I doubt Alvin Bragg's parents worked hard on making him a good person, but they might have. Parents don't always succeed. There's a lot of luck in how your child turns out. I don't know. How much does it matter? This open question. How much does it matter that Alvin Bragg, you know, indicted Donald Trump as opposed to someone else in his position? Would not anyone else in, the, in this position have, you know, experienced similar incentives to indict Donald Trump? Is this really that much about Alvin Bragg? Uh, question mark. I, I don't know. But I would suspect that anyone in Alvin Bragg's position would have faced similar incentives to do something like this. But he turned out rotten. But it wouldn't matter. Alvin Bragg is interchangeable with a million other Democrats in the legal profession. Completely interchangeable. It's time to fight. One way is to help fighters. Make a donation today. It'll be tripled at PragerU.com. And we proceed with the happiness hour. The Dennis cite the 10 plagues or many of them. No matter what, I do a happiness hour. Locusts, of course. And I do a happiness hour during these dark periods because that's exactly when they're most needed. When things are going great, you don't need a happiness hour quite as much, obviously. I'm asked a lot by people how I retain my happy disposition. Not only do I fight all the time in fighting for this country and to preserve the values that made Western civilization the best civilization, the kindest, best, most egalitarian, most just in the history of Earth, of the human race. Amazing, you can't say that at almost any university in this society. So while I watch this attacked by the termites, the moral termites that gnawed its foundations, how do I stay happy? And here's, a, here's an answer that I haven't given to you. You'll like this one. It's very simple. What's the choice? I want you to think... Whoa, he calls his political opponents termites. I mean, isn't that what the Nazis said about Jews? And isn't that what, what the Houthis and the Tutsis would throw at you? I mean, when you dehumanize your opponents and call them termites, I mean, isn't that just like the final step before mass genocide? 
I mean, just imagine coming, calling you know people who support the indictment of Donald Trump termites. Uh, it, it strikes me as, as rather hyperbolic. Uh, Ricardo says, Donald Trump was indicted because Alvin Bragg's mother didn't spank him, didn't make him read Leviticus. Yeah, didn't Radio Rwanda talk about you know the opposition being cockroaches? I mean, come on, man. Think of it that way. What is your choice? To get miserable? Oh. And who exactly will that help? Won't help you. Won't help those around you. And it won't help fight the termites that are eating the foundations. Yeah, so I'm happy I got a nationally syndicated radio show that traffics on stuff that's really bad for people. All right, by calling the opposition termites and the equivalent of cockroaches and insects. And, but I get a nationally syndicated show. I get money, power, prestige. All right, I, I get to hang out with really cool people. But what I'm transmitting is really bad for people. But I'm happy. Even though what I'm selling, what I'm promoting, is really bad for you. Of Western civilization. Western civilization. <laughs> In fact, it gives them a victory. Right now, happiness is part of the battle. Happy people don't become haters of what is good. They love what is good. From Shakespeare to the Bible, to Beethoven to the Constitution, to the family. It's, it's endless. There's so many good things. So you cannot let yourself get down. You can intellectually realize the crisis we're in, but you have to fight the tendency to despair. As I have noted on occasion after reading it in a commentary that one of the many I use, in addition to writing my own, obviously I consult with scholars. One scholar wrote that God declared in the book of Numbers that I am now writing, when the spies came back with a despairing assessment for the Israelites, you can't conquer Canaan. They're too strong. They're too tall. They're giants. God got very angry at them. And the scholar who commented on this that I really, I obviously cited his name and put it in my forthcoming fourth volume of my Bible commentary. God says despair is a sin. Great line. So I want you to know that. The unprecedented arresting of a former president, the attack on the foundations of our society, by doing so, the rendering of America as a banana republic. In the words of the famous Alan Estrin, I read your pithy comments as you note. What did you write exactly? We're becoming a banana republic? Banana republic time. It's a banana republic time? It's banana republic It's banana republic, republic time. Yeah. That's what you wrote. 1-8 mm -hmm. Prager 776. You know, you don't need a happiness hour in a happy time. Well, actually, you do. You know what we need? We need people to get... <laughs> we need people to get their pest control degree. And you can get your pest control degree at PragerU, and you can fight the good fight against termites. You can wipe out the termites that are destroying the foundations of our civilization. These termites, they're a threat to our people. They're miserable. We need to cleanse... The world of termites. We need to isolate good, God-fearing people from the termites. The termites are just wrecking things. They're just wreckers. They're, they're destructive. They're, they're rootless cosmopolitans. We need you to get your pest control degree from Prager University and make war on the termites. 
who are you know destroying our system who are infiltrating our institutions who are sucking and impurifying our vital bodily fluids come on guys because there were a lot of unhappy people even when america was happy that's why remember my motto which is really so so central to my thinking if nothing's horrific life is terrific if nothing's horrific and life is terrific yeah, people only realize that when the horrific begins, and the horrific is beginning. The state of California ha- is having a law passed in its state legislature that, that any child 12 years old and older whose parents do not agree with the child getting hormone blockers will have the child taken from the parents. In case you didn't know the left was evil, that should... Okay, is this a law that's actually being passed? You said it's being passed. Uh, is this actually a law that is being passed, or is it a a law that uh, is just someone's proposed? Because there are a lot of wacky laws out there, but uh, some people think this rhetoric is like uh, Hotel Rwanda, Rwanda Radio. I mean, the opposition, they're a bunch of termites, guys. Uh-oh. Yeah, that's from Hotel Rwanda. I better not play anymore or get copyright problems. Pretty much confirm it for you, but it won't. Because the number of examples of the cruelty of the left is so great. The suppression of free speech, etc. And if it didn't work by now, that won't work. You know, your 12-year-old daughter says she's a boy, and if you don't agree with her, your child can be taken away from you and given hormone treatments, hormone blockers, and even later in teenhood, in adolescence, maybe even have her breasts removed completely against your will. And you could do nothing about it except if you protest too hard, arrested. I'll tell you this, if you, have, if you have a child that is leaning in that direction and you live in California, get the hell out of the state while you can. Move to another country called Florida. It's another country. Florida is to California what Western Europe was to Eastern Europe in the time of communism. The parallel is almost perfect. The difference in freedom and values in Florida and California is essentially equivalent to the difference in freedom between West Germany and East Germany. Anyway, it's the happiness hour, and I'll tell you more ways not to... Yeah, doesn't this make you happy, (laughs) saying that the difference between California and Florida is the same as the difference between West Germany and East Germany? That's absurd. That's absolutely nuts. For one thing... You couldn't leave East Germany. You can leave California anytime you want, right? There are plenty of religious people in California carrying on with their religious lives, conservative lives, and they're not being oppressed, right? Who the president is doesn't make that much of a difference, right? Whether it's uh, George H.W. Bush or Bill Clinton or George W. Bush or Barack Obama, Donald Trump or Joe Biden, for an ordinary person who's not interested in politics, it makes very, very little difference. All right. I will be back in less than an hour. Bye-bye.